Happy Fourth of July, Jairo. I feel so in, I feel so independent of the Brits. How fast? It's perfect. You think so? Yes, everything is perfect. Mm. Today, I feel extremely independent. Resist. Resist the Brits. Resist the Brits? That's right. Brit, Brit exit. Brexit. Brexit. <laughs> In this case, it's US, US exit. <laughs> Us exit. USA exit. America exit. Yes. Well, so today we're talking about freedom. Freedom? Do we have freedom? Well, political a, freedom? It's Mental a very freedom? good question. First of all, let's define the word freedom. And then let's see how many different perspectives we can look at freedom from. What, what about the word free is that as it it it, it doesn't cost anything that's it yeah. free, free so from the free from financial burden dumb, what does dumb to the freedom the free plus uh, dumb no the free dumb the, is actually it's the 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 realm of, of the free so let's go and do freedom the realm of the free etymology like the buddha Here realm we go. so let's start with that in etymonline.com which is a, a site oh, that I, I go very often david to. norton david norton is in the house all right well welcome david norton my favorite greek philosopher <laughs> Happy Fourth of July! We missed you. I think he's muted. Saturday. I think he's either you have to unmute him, and or I unmuted he, myself. How's that? Can you hear me now? Now yes. you're free. You're free to unmute yourself. Oh, good, 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 good. Happy Independence Day! Yeah, right, huh? Okay, so when are we going to start this, Hyro? We we started already. You being you you're recorded, so uh, oh, okay. What, <laughs> we're already on the we're already on the record. Oh, okay. So what you talking about? Freedom. Oh, that's a good thing. Independence Day today is uh, we we study the notion of freedom. Is so I was. I'm sorry. I say, is there such a thing? That's the question of the day. So freedom, let's define it and then let's let's see, you know, how many how how we can spin it. <laughs> let's go ahead and spin freedom. I so define I freedom as the the realm of the free. And the free are those who live in the realm and they are free because they have free will. 
And if you don't have free will, you're not free. And how do you acquire free will? Through meditation. Because when we meditate, we liberate our mind from its uh, addictions. So if we're free of all of our addictions, we have free will. will. Otherwise, we are addicted. We're uh, enslaved to our addictions. Well, that was a good start, Haido. I was going to read uh, the, 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 the etymology of the word freedom. So I'll add to that. In here, they write Old English freedom, power of self-determination, state of free will, emancipation from slavery, deliverance, uh, exemption, exemption from arbitrary or despotic control, civil liberty, uh, from the uh, 14th century, meaning possession of particular privileges. And uh, similar formation of Wolf Region Freedom, Dutch, boom. And then they quote here John Calhoun, 1816, in the House of Representatives. It has been said by some physicians that life is a forced state. The same may be said of freedom. It requires efforts. It presupposes mental and moral qualities of a high order to be generally diffused in the society where it exists. Holy macaroni, I say to that. What, huh? what happened to David? He got cut off? Joined the meeting. Ah, somebody's joining the meeting. Maybe he lost his uh, internet, internet. Wi-Fi. And somebody's calling in. Who's that? If I can let him in. Let him in. Maybe Francisco. Do I let him in? There's a waiting room. You guys still there? Yes. Yeah. I got I got cut off for some reason. I don't know why. Mm. All right. So there's the calling user. So the the first definition you gave of freedom, uh, uh, Haido, I think was from the Buddhist uh, perspective, where we are free of our addictions and our uh, wants and uh, our uh, aversions and repulsions, phobias, uh, compulsions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So freedom from our own wants and dislikes. And here in the etymolo etymology of the word, they're talking about <coughs> self-determination. And um, of course, what uh, Calhoun says here is, I don't know if you if you heard that, David. No. I was in the in the uh, etymology of the word. Well, they talk about uh, self-determination, state of free will, emancipation from slavery, deliverance, exemption from mm -hmm. arbitrary or despotic control, civil liberty, uh, possession of particular privileges. And this is a good one. Possession. What particular privileges do we possess? 
this Hello. Call in user. And then Who are you? Hi, hi, Ro. Oh, God. Hello? Oh. Who? Is that Chris? Yes. Oh, hello, Chris. How are you? Hi, everyone. Hi, Chris. Hi everyone there. here? <laughs> Welcome. The four of us, the three musketeers the plus meditation on freedom. Well, Jairo, uh, introduce introduce us because uh, Chris to me is a first uh, is a first time name in the in this uh, Zoom uh, gathering. Yeah, me too. Yes, that this is this is Chris. She she's joined us in. Uh, in other meetup meetups like uh, dance stoics and other things that have come about. <laughs> Interesting. And there's David well, Norton. That's me, right he, here. He's he's been in dance stoics meetups, haven't you? And others. What's that? He's the, and you've been to dance stoics meetups meetings no. through Zoom. You haven't tried that? No. On Monday and Friday. Well, oh, Dan. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know Dan. Yeah, right. But you've been to his meetups. Oh, yeah. Haven't you? Through Zoom? No. Through Zoom? Via Zoom? Can you hear me, David? Yeah, I can hear you. Yep. Have you been to Dan Stoic's meeting through Zoom? Yeah, Dan, the Stoic Dan, right? Um, on Mondays or Fridays? Yeah, I've been to both of them. Yeah, Chris, Chris has been to, to them. Okay. Maybe. Uh, no one has seen her yet. You guys have seen me. I've mm. been in person um, when we used to go to the Panera Bread. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, in person we have. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jairo, what is the... No, I, I don't think I have met uh, lives, uh, Chris. Luis lives uh, uh, in another time zone almost in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> in Claremont. <laughs> That's so far away. That's almost to Tampa. <laughs> That's the end of the world. That's the frontier. <laughs> Just like in the movie Dances with Wolves. I want to see the frontier. Mm. Well, uh, Jairo, we the, uh, go ahead and uh, lay, lay, uh, lay down the, the subject of the day. So and, we were uh, uh, trying to define freedom. Uh, yeah. And Luis Del Pino uh, looked at the uh, definition in what etym.com? Uh, etymology, yeah. I, I, I always look at the at the the root of the word, the etymology of the word. It, it changes throughout the uh, time, uh, but in you know within the different aspects or definitions or understandings of of the word, it gives you an idea what the word was supposed to mean when it was coined. And so I, I'll, I'll read it again here in Etymology Online. It says freedom 
power of self-determination, state of free will, emancipation from slavery, deliverance, uh, exemption from arbitrary or despotic control, civil liberty. Here, this one is very interesting. Possession of particular privileges. And I, you know, I immediately asked myself the question, what particular privileges the four of us uh, uh, enjoy? And then there's a quote by, uh, <clears throat> by uh, Calhoun, uh, John Calhoun in 1816 in the House of uh, the floor of the House of Representatives. And he, he, he writes this, and I think this is beautiful in and of itself. It has been said that, uh, it has been said by some physicians that life is a forced state. The same way, uh, the same may be said of freedom. It requires efforts. It presupposes mental and moral qualities of a high order to be generally diffused in the society where it exists. So uh, there goes nothing. We have a we have a, a, a lot to spin and a lot to uh, kind of break down. So who wants to start? <laughs> you start, Ido. <laughs> so is is this freedom something that uh, occurred recently or like in within? the last three centuries or has there been freedom say 2,500 years ago when the Siddhartha appeared in India, the Buddha Shakyamuni. Was there freedom in India I, I to wouldn't, allow him yeah. to think and meditate? Well, I'll, I'll volunteer an answer to that one. I don't think there is a specific time. And if there was a time, we will never know it because it was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I, I would propose that in order to know that you have freedom, you have to first know you were not free before. Yeah, I think so. So that sets the stage for discussion on, on what is freedom with regards to our mind, our, our understanding. Because mosquitoes will, I mean, that we know of, mosquitoes will never, do not know what freedom is about. They don't know that they, they have the freedom to go left or right uh, looking for an animal to suck blood from. They, they, they don't know if they, they, that they have the freedom to take off from a, a, a twig uh, now or five minutes later. So I think freedom at the onset is a very subtle, abstract, and complex complex notion that is only only applicable to the human mind. And then we can we can uh, try to define it. But it's a it's a perspective. It's a notion. Freedom is a notion that arises and emerges from the complex human mind. I think we could agree on that. Probably so. Yeah. Um, so Chris, do you have any comment on this? I do. There's this quote um, from 
this TV show called The Handmaiden. Um, there's this woman, what's it, Aunt Lydia? Um, she says there's freedom to and there's freedom from, or something like that. I was trying to look for the quote, but it was just kind of interesting because in a in a state where I'm not sure if anyone have seen this, but um, it's basically where handmaidens are, you know, put to work and um, where society has basically changed from being a democracy state to being a totalitarian um, regime by Gilead. But um, when, what is to say? Hold on one second. Once I find a quote, then I'll say something. Mm-hmm. So I like that concept, Chris. Uh, freedom to, freedom from. I, uh, in that, this brings me back to the first uh, definition that uh, Haido proposed, which is uh, more from the perspective of the, uh, the Buddhist uh, thought, uh, which has totally everything to do with the mind and how the mind is attracted towards things and it is repelled from uh, uh, other things. So it is. It is goes to things, and it is. It, it uh, uh, f- runs away from uh, things. And of course, the mind is attracted to pleasant feelings, pleasant pleasant sensation, pleasant states of mind, and it, it is repelled by uh, unpleasant uh, all of the above. So, in a sense, freedom would be running towards pleasant away from unpleasant. I got something along those lines uh, from Alexander the Great, a quote that he said 2,300 years ago. He says, through every generation of the human race, there's been a constant war, a war with fear. Those who have the courage to conquer it are made free, and those who are conquered by it are made to suffer until they have the courage to defeat it or death takes over them. Can you read that again? Yeah. It says, through every generation of the human race, there has been a constant war, a war with fear. Those who have the courage to conquer it are made free, and those who are conquered by it are made to suffer until they have the courage to defeat it, or death takes them over. Well, that's beautiful. It, it is. Um, who did you say that came from? Alexander the Great. Okay. How many times uh, have I uh, said this uh, to, to you, uh, David and Jairo, that uh, life is a constant uh, Vietnam? Yeah, it is. So uh, uh, being, a, a, and again, uh, Calhoun says the same. So it's, it's imposed on us. Uh, you know, life is imposed on us. So, it, it life is a strife. If you read the Four Noble Truths by the the Buddha, the first thing that he says is life is suffering. Um, some people say it's very uh, very pessimistic to to look at that, that that way. But the truth is that life is a constant struggle. So, uh, Alexander the Great says it with different words, but it says the same thing. Life is a constant war. And what are we at war with? He says with, with fear, 
it's, yeah. he says specifically that if we're a constant war with fear, um, so what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? You know, why, why are we at war with fear and not with what we need to war with? You know, when I go to war, what do I fight? My enemy. But he says, no, I'm fighting my fear. That's, that's an interesting uh, point. Yeah, but you're fighting, you're fighting your fear because you're fearful of your enemy. I mean, that's the only reason you fight. Because if you're not fearful, then you don't fight. Even if you want to get rid of your, uh, your uh, enemy, what, do you fight your fear or your enemy? Both. <laughs> because if you fight your fear and you don't fight your enemy, you still have an enemy. If you fight your enemy and you don't fight your fear, you're still afraid. So might as well not have taken, taken care of your enemy because you're still, still afraid. So is there a relationship between fear and enemy? Yeah, let me finish here. I have another one written down from Alexander. And he also says, um, now you fear punishment and beg for your lives. So I will let you free if not for any other reason, so that you can see the difference between a Greek king and a barbarian tyrant. So do not expect to suffer any harm from me. A king does not kill messengers. He says a lot there and just in those couple sentences. Yes, 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 absolutely. Uh, magnanimity in victory. Magnanimity in victory. Uh, uh, so that's uh, that's another that's an that's another beautiful concept. So life is a struggle. Life is a, is a battle. We are constantly uh, at war with our fear of life, or death, or suffering, or not having, or not being, not not belonging, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So we we I can take you back to the. Uh, uh, Maslow's pyramid of needs. So uh, life is a constant war uh, with fear of not fulfilling our needs. That's what I would say. And all we want is to fulfill our needs. What are our needs? That's another big question. We can talk about that uh, in another uh, Zoom session. So maybe we could go back to the idea of freedom and go, okay, freedom is my ability my ability to fight the, 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 the war of life uh, mindfully, uh, with uh, full awareness, with self-determination. I know what I want, I know what I don't want, and I'm gonna go get it. So that, I, I think that's what freedom is. The, 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 the freedom is the self-determination to fight the war of life magnanimously. What do you guys think? I think you're right. Um, I got another one for you. This one here come from uh, Plutarch. I don't know if you ever heard of him or not. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Plutarch says, the real destroyer of the liberties of people is the person who spreads among them bounties, donations, and benefits. Now this here takes a little bit of thought to think about in order to relate, I think. Uh, that's that's where I would summarize that by uh, uh, money for nothing. You know the song by uh, Dire Straits? Yeah, right. 
there's nothing more dangerous than uh, uh, money for nothing. Um, so if you want to undermine freedom, uh, give stuff for free and get people re uh, used to that so they don't have to fight uh, uh, their own uh, uh, battle of life. And then people become soft, they become complacent, and you know they don't do anything because they're used to uh, being fed. That's why it's important to uh, show somebody how to fish instead of giving them a fish. So Plutarch was uh, very, very bright in that one. Uh, so should we charge for this meeting? For whoever wants to pay for it, sure, absolutely. Should we <laughs> charge not, for not the internet? For the internet, should it be free or should we charge for it? Well, how many people you got? What about water? Should yeah. we charge for water? It's air. Should we charge for air? Well, those are very good questions. I think there are some fundamental fundamental uh, needs that uh, should not uh, be commercialized. I agree with you. We should not uh, take all the air. for medical care? Right, yeah. I, uh, well, uh, you can say, no, we should not, but who's going to pay for it? You know, should we make the doctor take care of somebody for free? And how is he going to pay for his own bills? How is he going to feed his family? So. Those are very good questions. And there are, I think there are some fundamental things that should never be commercialized. And that's uh, water, air, earth. <laughs> uh, uh, well, earth, you kind of have to, because you have to have your little parcel, unless, you know, my place is your place, your place is my place, and we don't, we don't have a place to stay. Any place is good to stay. But um, uh, water and air, I think those are just fundamental, fundamental elements that uh, um, should not be commercialized, of course. What about education? Education is an individual thing. Should it be free? I, you know, education is free. Uh, to, uh, you know, uh, going to school is free, but somebody pays for it. We still pay for it. So it, it is free. You know, it all depends how huh? you look at free. Because the thing is, uh, no, nothing is ever free because right. you have to take yeah. some time to learn whatever it is that you're going to learn. So there's a yeah. sacrifice of putting the time in. So time is, you know, has a value to it too. So you, you're paying the price of spending the time and all of what you learn. And the thing is, yeah. our person is free to learn what they will, um, so they can go after what they will. You know, uh, you will. I, I would rephrase. I would rephrase your questions, Jairo. What benefits should be social? And you know, you can say that uh, education should be a social benefit, a benefit of the collective for the individual, paid by the individual. You know through the collective. So it's so basically closing the loop of the social contract. But because it's so important, to, uh, health, uh, education, and um, uh, our and de defense used to be that because there were a lot of warring uh, of countries, but I think we're in the 21st century, we could dispense with defense. But let's talk about uh, health and education. I think they should be fully available to the individual from the collective, provided by the collective for the individual, 
and paid for by the taxes of the individual that is uh, uh, living and taking advantage of the collective. And uh, I have a very, very, uh, uh, I, I should say, a very Zen way, yin yang way of understanding the social contract. And the two things that I believe are um, very important are health, and I'm talking about the physical health and mental health. That's a lot, you know, that's always been on the wayside. And now we need more mental health than physical health uh, uh, because uh, the, way, the way society has evolved, we become more uh, complex uh, mentally and socially. And we, there's a lot of strife in, in mental health which is not uh, typically, typically not covered uh, well, uh, not understood well. We don't teach well about it. But I do believe that health and education should be two uh, totally available uh, uh, services to the individuals. And of course, they have to be paid by uh, through taxes. From the what about car insurance? Shouldn't that be free? Okay. That's the, you, you know, the thing is, when you're talking about having something free financially versus free as freedom. Those are yeah, that's a different, it's a different thing. You're so, talking about one is a value of something in the society that you live in and the other is free as the, the person as a soul, as a person. You know, they're two different things. Which, so when you, you know, states here. They're important for society to function. If you don't have those covered, especially education, then the society won't work. Yeah, education is people fundamental. People won't won't uh, won't obey. <laughs> won't, won't know education, what to do. You know, education is fundamental. Education to me is the most fundamental thing. The, but then, the if you thing. obey, then you're not free. But you can because decide to obey. No, 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 no. You only, you're, you're free if you decide to obey, not if you're made to obey. That's a different story. But what makes you decide to obey? Your uh, knowledge. Uh, there's a carrot or a stick. So it, you decide to obey because of the stick, that's fear, or a carrot, yeah, there's a but, benefit yeah, but, that you see. It, yeah. it, I could forward. say, yeah, of course, you know, if you don't like society, you can step out of society and go live with the monkeys in the jungle. Good luck with that. So, of course, you want to belong to society because you are human and you are uh, uh, gregarious. You know, we're not really human if we're not uh, living with other humans. We don't uh, participate, uh, participate, create, collaborate with other humans. So That's what makes us human. We can decide to wear the mask. We can, uh, if we live in California, we're wearing a mask out of fear that we, uh, if we get caught not wearing a mask, we might get fined. Not necessarily. Some uh, here in wear Florida, them. we decide to be, we decide to wear the mask because it's the right thing to it's do. The right thing to do. Supposedly, it it may uh, protect someone else if, since we don't know that we may have it because there's uh, the possibility that we may be individually be asymptomatic. So we should assume that we've got it and then wear the mask. So, so we should take that route of 
plastic and then and then we were we choose to uh, by our thinking our logical thinking and and care for others we we decide to wear it and not because we're told to but we can choose to wear it did you mute yourself yes you did yes <laughs> Chris, what do you think about all this uh, rigmarole we're going through? Um, honestly, I think the point Harold was making in regards to education being free, um, I guess medical care being free, housing being free, you know, and being, I guess, whether it's like a want to obey versus, you know, forced to obey. Of course, those in line, you know, depending on who you are and, you know, if you're, if you're more of an individualist or um, community type of person, but, but in reality, like you're saying, um, eventually as humans, and it's not just humans, but animals too, we want to belong. We want to come as a collective. We want to be part of community. Yes. And so in essence, it's kind of like you have to weigh and um, I guess battle in essence your wants versus the, the needs or wants of others. Absolutely. Um, and it's difficult because for some, it's kind of like they have their own moral or spiritual um, battles within yeah. themselves when it comes to freedom. Yeah. Some people, they want to just kind of, um, I guess, not have to pay for housing, education, medical care. In essence, I mean, all that is, in a, in a form, if you think about it, and I don't want to be, you know, I guess, like, dwell on the past, because, like, I guess the Buddhist thing is to not think about the past or you know, to think more forward um, thinking and progressing and kind of flow with where you're at currently. Mm -hmm. But realistically, if you think about it, education, um, how did that stem from? Where did it stem, stem from? Because back in the days, like the natives um, and just general tribes, you know, in different cultures, the Aztecs, you know, um, all different types of people, they were uh they were individuals but you know collective and yes. how did they learn where did they get their education from they learned yes. it from each other there was no yes. there was no feet for it you know but as a community they bartered they were able to build houses they were able to advance in technology and weapons mm -hmm. and education and housing and things of that sort and it's similar to the, um, what's the group now, the Amish people here, where they're still in, um, in the back of, they're not really progressing in technology like we are. You know, they're not really, yes. they're not really, um, I guess, forced to do a lot of the things or um, progress similar Absolutely. to us, but they still pay for for land because it's part of um, a requirement for society and they still follow 
many of the rules that we do, but they still do their own, I guess, bartering and working as a collective without having to exchange money for um, paying for shelter, education, because they all teach each other and they all work as a collective. The only thing that's different is they do it for the community versus whereas they're bound to do it, do it, doing it all for everybody else. I don't know if that makes so. makes a, oh, and makes I a also, lot of sense. And I also found a quote for the one I was um, speaking of, and it was she was saying there is more than one kind of freedom. Like I said, freedom to and freedom from. In days of anarchy, it was freedom to. Now you're being given freedom from. Don't underrate it. So again, it goes in line with what you were saying. Um, before with you and Hiro, it's just kind of like, it's your perspective. You know, some people, you know, they fear as though like with police, they need um, freedom from in this yeah. day in um, life. And then there's some, they're like, you know what? We need freedom to be able yes. to have our police um, forces. Of course. And it, and it all course. depends on, you know, your level of fear to and from and who, you know, and what as well. So, yeah. So true. So true. Now you, you, you made a, a powerful point. You went back to when uh, human uh, gatherings were simpler, you know, you, you know, years ago uh, where there were smaller clans and, and individuals within the clan would still learn, they improved their techniques, agriculture was one of them. And then we had uh, uh, technical advancements, and then we had the industrial revolution, and, and all that. It all comes from all of us together as a, a, a human conglomerate, and we we have a culture, the human culture. So we learn from each other. We 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 want to be in because we know that uh, we we cannot uh, stay outside. We cannot be who and what we are on our own. Um, and even if we were on our own, I always ask this because I always talk about the social contract, which you, you have described in, in its beauty, the whole thing. The social contract I see as a, a quiet understanding or almost like a, you know, do not question this understanding where the individual is productive and gets along within the collective. And then the collective as a whole also has that responsibility to uh, take care of the individual. So it has to go both ways. That's why uh, I, I, in my own political uh, view, I always uh, think this way. If I were on my own, if I was in a society of one, myself, would I have to work? Yes. I would have to work, I would have to defend myself against the elements, I would have to protect myself against rain and wind, I would have to build a shelter, I would have to find the materials to build it, I would have to find food, uh, either go hunting or plant something or learn how to, you know, what to eat, etc., etc. So uh, an individual of one has to work or it just uh, dies away. Well. The same applies for uh, a society of two, 
the collective of two, well, now you have two, two individuals that want to stay alive, survive, and they have to work. But the advantage is that two can help each other. Whereas when you're on your own, nobody helps you. It's just nature against you, you against nature. So with, with you have two people, well, when you're building the shelter, one can hold a pole, the other one can tie it. It's much faster, more efficient, and so on and so forth. So as, uh, as the, the collective grows, uh, the individuals are still the same, but just the, it's the complexity of the collective grows. So you have a big collective of humanity, and then you have sub-collective, maybe countries and this and that. And then it goes down from the collective of humanity all the way down to collective of your own family, your neighborhood, you know, your, your job, your, your community, et cetera, et cetera. But it's always the same thing. The individual has to work, has to produce. And then because that individual is in the collective, it has to collaborate and create and get along and play with the rest of the the, the other individuals. So that's why the individuals that think that the collective should give them something for nothing in return, that is a big mistake because if nobody does anything, there is no collective and there is no individual because if you don't work, nothing happens. So uh, one thing that needs to be understood, I think, from everybody is like, there's no free ticket. And, and David, you were saying that somehow before. It's like, there's no free ticket. Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to uh, work for it. And the best way to understand this and to have a more harmony in, within the individual and within the collective is that we all have to pitch in. We all have to work. And then uh, within the, the, our means, we all work. We all pay taxes. So then the collective is able to allocate those taxes to better serve the individuals. And of course, that should be for the individuals that are having a harder time coping for whatever reason, because they live in an area that has less uh, food, or they live in an area where education was, uh, or they live in an area that was uh, decimated by uh, uh, social problems, uh, wars, uh, um, 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 uh, social tensions, uh, inequalities, etc., uh, etc. Et so, in today's collective, in today's world, we uh, we have uh, in our nation here we have a lot of problems that stem from inequalities and uh, and awful uh, differences uh, in society, uh, the lack of the collective taking care of the individual, and and so. These are very old problems that have very difficult solutions, but they, I think they do have solutions. Uh, it just takes a lot of work, a lot of sitting down, finding uh, common common uh, will, and working towards that. But uh, it just takes a lot of work. Yeah, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking here, you know, about what you're saying. And... You know, the thing is, freedom is in the words that we speak, I feel. Because the thing is, if you use words, okay, that don't represent their original or their, well, there's actually two definitions for words. There's a common understanding for words, and then there's an original understanding for words. And these are somewhat very, very different. 
but the thing is, when the words are taken and twisted to mean something that they don't, then a person is actually believing in a lie. And when you believe in a lie, a lie is believing in something that don't exist. So when you're going down that road of something that doesn't exist, eventually, you know, you get to the end and then you find out that, um, you know, it's really not real. And unfortunately, throughout time, you know, there has been periods of time where they have taken and tried to control language, you know, and it goes back, number one, to me, to uh, Constantine. And even before that, when, when Rome came out with the Latin language, okay, to supersede the, um, you know, the Greek language, but they took a lot of the same things and the same gods and give them a new name, you know. And actually what it did more than anything else was to confuse things. Then comes along uh, Christianity with Constantine. And then the next thing you know, now they're burning books and just, you know, just getting rid of everything that they think is wrong. And so it can once again control society and the words and things that people believe. And right now we're going through that same sort of thing is the way I feel because of the fact that the internet is trying to take and control definition through the internet by saying that this means that, or that means this or whatever, without looking at the variables, without looking at the synonyms, because the internet is not geared, okay, for variables. It's only geared for, hey, if you don't understand this, then you're not going along with what I'm saying. And the thing is the human mind and the human communication form uh, comes in many different ways, you know, I mean, we tell innuendos and we have, uh, you know, a different sort forms of myths and stories and things, and all these things exist in a normal society for people. But what happens is the thing is the government or the governing people at the time, and right now I think it's more the internet than anything, in trying to take and control language so that everybody says the same thing, sees the same thing. And to me, this is just nothing more than tyranny in its own way. But I think that that there is what affects our freedom more than anything else. And the thing is, it's up to each individual to take and do their own searches to find out what people are saying to them to know if they're being lied to or if they're being told the truth. So the thing is, we have so much deception in our society today that half the people think that the lie is the truth and the truth is a lie. So, you know, this works on, on all sides of the spectrum. Do you guys think there's more deception today than there was a uh, hundred years ago? Two hundred years ago? I believe it's easier to deceive nowadays than, there, than being able to deceive back then. I do have a question though. Um, uh, what would be the greatest obstacle for the community versus um, the community and collective? Because, I mean, you said that, you know, it's a we're able to, the, the web you, you describe, it sounds logical, it sounds reasonable, but the, the outside factors also, it just seems like there's so many factors involved to make it, seem like a utopia. Granted, it would be ideal, you know, where everyone works, you know, work on themselves eternally as an individual 
in essence, um, become productive to a community as a collective. But it just seems like so many factors involved that makes it impossible. So what would be like some ways or to remedy that? Yeah. No. I, I have an idea, Chris, if I may. Uh, and may me, I'm not sure what your name is because I know I know um Louis. I know David and I know um Hiro, but I'm yes. not sure who you are. My name is Lewis. Lewis, okay. Lewis, yes. And I, I've known Hiro for many years now. David is a newer acquaintance and, and friend. Uh but uh Hiro and I go back a long ways. Um, so my, my proposition to fix the inequalities and the dissension and the distension in the collective, um, based on my uh, original assumption, is that uh, we have to work in order to uh, take care of ourselves as individuals. And even when we are a collective, we still have to work, uh, cooperating, collaborating with each other to take care of ourselves as a collective. I have uh, formulated the following uh, kind of uh, co social contract. I say, well, the individual has the uh, responsibility, the obligation to be productive within the collective. How are you productive? By working, of course, because that was set up at the beginning, because I, I knew that, that being by myself, I had to work no matter what. So just because I am with two, I still have to work. If I'm with a 100, I still have to work. And if I'm with uh, two, uh, 2 billion, I still have to work. But on, and, and working means that I, I work, I produce, I uh, pay my taxes, and I do that in a civil uh, uh, way. I get along, I follow the rules. Uh, so I, I do believe strongly in a democratic way, you know, the, where we vote for laws and we follow them. And if we don't like them, we change them. Um, so I am very, very uh, democratic in that sense. So, but there is an obligation of the collective towards the individual. And that is absolutely fundamental. If the individual has the obligation to play by the rules and work and pay taxes uh, and get along with you know, everybody else, the collective has the reverse obligation. That is to guarantee that the individual can work and guarantee that he has the knowledge and the education to know the rules of the game. So, you know, you cannot be uh, a mindless individual and function in, in society. You have to be educated. So that's why I feel education uh, is fundamental. It has to be provided. It has a right a guarantee and uh, uh, so education and health must be a guarantee and um, you but, might want but, but since somebody has to pay for it uh, 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 and it has to be paid with taxes of the individual stores the collective i feel and this is the most important thing that you know when i say it a lot of people kind of look at me like you're crazy the the collective government or the society we live in, the country, must guarantee that if I want to work tomorrow, I can go ahead and punch in and go to work and get paid for it. 
Luis. Hey. Luis. How you doing? I'm all right. Hello, Rami. Iro, you have something to say, and I want you to be able to say it first because I've yeah. got Luis to I was I I was going to uh, complete uh, uh, Luis. Uh, Luis uh, Theory of of a happy society by adding the, this, the social yes, contract. The, the yes, social the contract. social contract must include <laughs> a meaningful uh, work with decent wages. Uh, yes, yes, it have to be dignified. Yes, decent wages. And, Very and, important. And uh, and uh, and Luis uh, says that it should guarantee that every able-bodied uh, worker has. Uh, available work for them so there should be zero unemployment or pretty close the, well the only ideally, unemployed would be the people that cannot because of physical uh, uh very harsh physical conditions quadriplegic people that are also they cannot be on the phone for example you know you can have somebody that's paralyzed but that can still take phone calls and help people do social work, et cetera, et cetera. So it would be, that would have to be somehow legislated, understood, and, and uh, really managed. But any able body uh, should, should be working. Somebody but, that is uh, completely disabled, whether physically or mentally, that, that also, there are, those are the exemptions. I also want, want to add or complete uh, Luis's social contract by acknowledging that the the people that work are we could we not uh classify them as the working class because in the collective there there probably has to be a class that does not have to work and those would be the the upper class that oversees the society somehow that uh, manages the capital you still have to no, and the well, resources you, and listen maybe maybe it involves a managerial class that is part of the working class but but they they're the the very top of the society that that uh steers the society in certain directions if you if you have a lot of work and they it, perhaps don't really work per se they're kind of just there uh making sure everything's working they don't well that's don't work if anyway. you can call that work yeah, it's not it's not yeah, like they, manual work it's they, not physical they, work. they um they 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 oversee society so much that they they uh set their own salaries kind of like Congress does. Okay. So do they really work? I guess they do. But. Of course they work. <laughs> They're they supposed work to. <laughs> they work uh, for themselves. Let me ask you something, both of you guys. Jairo, I know that you're, you're single. Uh, Luis, are you married or single? I'm married. I'm a married man. You have any children? Okay. Yeah, two. Okay. I think you're both under the spell of Plato. Oh boy. <laughs> I thought I was free. <laughs> In the seeds of I'll be darned. <laughs> Wait a minute. You've provided us, and Jairo, that, that, that you've 
filled in some details on are the are the seeds of tyranny. You both appear at least to think that work is the goal. Work is not the goal. Freedom is the goal. Work Freedom is a necessity. Huh? I'm sorry? Work is a necessity. Freedom Work is a necessity, but freedom is the goal. And I'll tell you why. Because as you increase in populations, as soon as you start applying tools, then the amount of work necessary to support the collective, which you've, that, that's, that's a phrase that you've introduced, uh, the number of people it takes to, it's, it's, it's people times tools, the number of people necessary soon drops off in terms of uh, workers in order to provide the necessities, whatever the necessities are. And more today because of automation. Exactly. I mean, I know this because I've, I've written some automation that's literally removed jobs and re removed needs for people out of the headquarters of the company I was working at to have to go fly across I, the world anymore. I know where you're going with this. Uh, and I, if I may uh, answer your first uh, point, I agree with you that uh, we, uh, as you become more efficient, more technologically savvy, you need less people to do the same work. Okay, no problem. So, so that, that, but that, that does not, that does not, and, and I, can, I can prove the point right now, uh, go out in, in the street, look around you, and see if we are uh, uh, fulfilling all the needs of ourselves, individuals, and the collective. And the answer is no. The answer is no, because the streets are dirty. There are people living under bridges. There are people that need health care and they don't have it. They, they need health, uh, a mental health care and they don't have it. There are people that are uh, destitute and they, nobody's taking care of them. So the collect, they cannot take care of themselves or maybe they don't want to. That's, that's a question, but that's, we can manage that too. And mm -hmm. then, but obviously, no matter how technological we become, no matter how the private workforce does not need any more people the social responsibility of the collective towards the individual mm -hmm. is not met and we have to take care of that if i put everybody that's out of work right now to clean streets to clean rivers to clean the beaches to take care of people that are in the street forsaken to take care of the homeless to take care of the people that are depressed in their corner the people mm -hmm. that are suffering I could employ the whole of the population. And of course, that is not free because we all pay for it through our, the taxes that we pay when we work. And the people that are doing social work are also paying taxes. So everybody pays. No money for nothing, no chicks for free. And, and, and that exemplified how you're under the spell because you said, if I. Okay. You just went from a we to an I. You, and Hiro hinted at this. He said, well, I mean, isn't there, because he, he already started to build the hierarchy in his head. The spell of Plato is the idea that 
you you have these philosopher kings who run the show. I, I didn't, I didn't talk. I, I didn't talk I about any philosopher kings. Kings, they, they could be financial oligarchy. They could I, be French bureaucracy. Yeah, it, Cairo it, said that. I didn't say monarchs, that. Monarchs, but it's it's I, philosophy kings. That's the no, 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 no. I, I didn't mention that Cairo did in my uh, perfect utopia. Uh, everybody pays. Everybody uh, collaborate. The individual always pays for the collective because that's that's the price to pay to be in the collective. So even if you have a lot of money, let's say that you have great education, you have a lot of money, and you don't have to work for a living, you still have to pay for being part of the collective. That's your tax. That's giving back to this, the collective that made you, that allowed you, uh, yeah. gave you the factors to become rich and affluent and smart. Right. Right. So there is no king here. Because in my, uh, in my collective, you and I are exactly the same. We are human beings trying to make a living together, trying to get along. Yes. And the more culture, the more understanding, the more cooperation, collaboration. So right. no king. Thank you very much. Uh, no, no smart guy telling me how to live my life. No, excuse well, me. No, I, I know what I need. You know what I mean? You cannot do that. Orwell showed that you cannot do that. In fact, you, you, the, the, the collective has a set of people who rewrite the language. In other words, the operating system that people use so that they can't even think in, in terms or necessarily see that they're being directed according to a certain philosophy. Well, we go back to the very first definition of freedom that we gave at the beginning of this conversation, which is a self-direction. You know, you right. If you know what's going on and you decide, then you're free. A slave in, in, uh, in Egypt pulling a big stone behind him and being lashed 20 times per second could be free. Not physically, but mentally, yes. So life is a struggle. Society is a struggle. Going to work is a struggle. Paying your bills is a struggle. Life is a struggle. There's no doubt about it. But as long as you know, as long as you, in your own uh, uh, self-reflective awareness, you know what the heck's going on and what you can do about it or what you cannot do about it, if you can you know, make any changes or escape, uh, say, okay, well, this is not a good condition. You know, I don't want to be a slave in Egypt. So the first, the first occasion, the first chance I have, I'm getting the heck out of here. Forget it. That is a free man. If uh, I am living in society right now and I see my, my society uh, in strife, inequalities, no changes, my thing would be I don't need to run anywhere because at the end of the day, I'm okay here. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'm not a slave pulling a stone. Uh, but I feel that uh, maybe I should make some changes in, in the politics of uh, this country. I'm aware that book that, wait a minute, let me finish this, this is very important. I should make some changes politically in this country. And I know that whether I vote for one or the, for the other, it's not gonna change. So, the, the track, so I need to uh, make my own political party, my common is, sense party. Is, is democracy overrated? No. When did democracy happen? And and David Norton might know about when they tried democracy in the Greek uh, era. Of, yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, what, it 
it failed in certain cases. Where yeah, but my you rule. Know, everything fails, no. you know. You have, to take a look, you have to take a look at why democracy failed. And the thing is, it's no different today than it was then. Because the thing is, it, it's over, said over and over again, two things uh, that bring down a country is cronyism and nepotism. Right. And the, what happens with that in a democracy is people get in office and then they take and put their friends in office. They it's stay right. in office forever. Right. And the thing is, there's no turnover. So the thing is, you're constantly having the same people control the other same people. And eventually the people get fed up with what's going on and the democracy fails. And usually it turns into, um, you know, it turns into anarchy of some sort. I mean, this is nothing new. And you can take a look at these quotes from over 2000 years ago as to how this whole thing uh, falls apart and becomes a, a mess. And the thing is, even right now, you have people in Washington, D.C. that have lived there and been doing their jobs for 50, 70 years. And, um, you know, the thing is, when they do that, they're in bed with all their friends and families, well, and whoever is there, okay, I would propose our society. I would propose, David, that uh, in, in Cairo, that uh, democracy is not perfect as a system, but it's the least worst of all systems. <laughs> but, but we don't have democracy. Uh, we have a what Republicans call a, a republic. Right. A with Democratic a representation. Republic. Well listen, we, we can we can criticize and the so system. So when we go to vote, we're voting for Okay, change it. What is, I it's no, it's converted into uh Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, de delegates. Yes. And they're I the ones that do the and voting. Listen, we all know the problems that we have, but uh, criticizing the system is not going to change it anyway. No, so but, either we build something different. But we have to understand <laughs> so, what's going on. Yes. And yes, also, we, if there was perfect democracy, there there would be there could be mob rule, and there could be uh, voting by passion and lack of knowledge of what's going on, and yeah. so we could end up with somebody that. Uh, totally uh, going to ruin the society. Listen, or, I, I, in all levels of, of society, course, like of course. down to the Listen, city level. I make a comparison here. I in, I, in my work, I'm a manager. I manage a business. And, and we have, it's a collective. The business that I manage is a collective of human beings, of individuals. And it's, I'm sorry. All businesses are collected. It's just like that, you know. Governments are all collected. A country, a country is is a business. You know, you can the business of life, but it's a it's a business. So you have to see what the problems are. Nothing is perfect in life. If you if you think that something is perfect in life, then you are outside of the human realm. Mosquitoes may think life is perfect; they don't know any better. But human beings, we because we are so complex in our way of thinking, we we always find something that would be better. You know, whatever our utopic situation is, it's it up to each mind. But again, we, we need to remember we're a collective. So we have to agree on what uh, heaven and earth uh, should look like. But so all changes have to be uh, 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 deliberated properly. When I make changes in the business, when I make uh, uh, decisions, when I say, well, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I am very careful to think the, the over deliberately okay so what is the problem what is the perceived problem because sometimes i think there's a problem but 
it's not a problem. Uh, so you have to talk, you have to get people together, you have to see, okay, so what do you think about this and that and the other? There's always, you know, a whole, a whole array of uh, uh, considerations and opinions. But at the end of the day, well, I have to make the, I have to make the call. And in a sense, in a sense, I Who is get making that the call. I make the call through the votes of the individuals because Who I am very democratic. To make the call. Are you I the am, king? I, no, I get I, the votes. I'm, I'm the I political think, party, the common sense yeah, party. I, <laughs> I think <laughs> what he's saying is that the votes collect, um, counted is what he ends up That's making right. for everyone. So like if Very everyone good, voted 1%, everyone gets Very a vote, good. so you tally it up, and then that ends up being what ends up being See? done. Excellent, versus, Chris. Versus it, it being just his opinion and saying, hey, you know what, this is it. But I That's do have, um, Rami, your, your, your question, or I guess your statement regarding automation. Um, yes, of course, and, and, and just society in itself. Um, and I don't know if this will make sense or not, but yes, as, as time progresses and as history, you know, um, continues, of course, a lot of things become automated, and yes, people um, become to the point where they, I don't want to use ice, um, isolate or whatever, become, become absolute or whatever. Um, it, obsolete. <laughs> right? Thank you. That's what you're trying to say? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, they're, they're redundant. It's, it's we don't need you anymore. Exactly. Thank now. you. <laughs> get, get out of my collective. I don't need you anymore because, you know, I have machines doing the work of a thousand of you. So uh, please disappear in my life. You're very inconvenient to me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's the word. I'm trying to remember it. But, um, right. but the thing is, we as humans, um, and again, back to what everyone's, um, I guess, general um, thing is education. So every yes. machine takes away one person's job. But, but as time goes by, I don't know if you guys are aware of this or if you've noticed it, we as humans are able to become palatable. So we invent new ways to, to find jobs, to find a yes. means of surviving, you mm. know. And in, in that turn makes it where, I don't know, where we we expand where we expand in not just technology, but new ways of innovation, Humanism. you know, because, but, um, but how's that happening? Huh? How does that come about? Is that come out about naturally through innovation um, or prayer? I think, or I think it, bec it comes a combination of, of just force, force and naturally, you know, because, when you're in a state of, um, think of it as like the caveman, um, you know, the caveman, he, he needed to find um, a, a means to basically survive. So he ended up creating um, fire. Why? Because he was forced to, you know, not only forced to, but he, he was forced because he needed to as well. You know, it was something he wanted. Now, if he didn't, then he would not have survived. So that, so in turn, he find he he ended up finding a means to create fire, and because of that, he was able to su survive. I mean, granted, there might be a female too. I'm not trying to be sexist or anything, but anyhow. Um, so then it's the same thing with he, like in this day and age, a lot of us are out of jobs. 
So now we have to um, struggle to figure out ways to make an income. You know, a lot of companies, in essence, um, use use the Internet to ship things. Before it used to be people would go to department stores or have you, and now it's like everything's becoming online. You know, people doing things online, whereas like, um, because I know a lot of businesses, they didn't want to do the online thing because they were like, you know what, why? I have no need to. I don't want to. But now because of this pandemic, it's forced them. And then a lot of them now they say, well, being online has actually increased their revenue, you know. So it's kind of like it's, 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 in life it's sometimes it's not one or the other, but just a, a, a having a combination of both or maybe several other things, you know. I think um, also when sometimes when you're forced, forced but want to change or something like that, not forced as a means of being like um, rape or coerced or anything like that, but like, you know, like having a jump kind of force, you know, like um, I don't know how to describe it, but um, then you you use your mental capacity to get yourself out of a situation. That's if you can or if you want to. And I'm not sure if that makes any sense. Um, Yeah, so... I think I think we as humans. I think I would hope that we have you much enough intelli- in, in, intellect. Jesus Christ, I cannot speak <laughs> intellect in order to, you know, um, get ourselves to the next hump or to the next boulder or to the next innovative way to get things. Granted, will it be better? Uh, who knows? It all again is perspective, you know. Yes. But it will get us to a different. Um, way of life. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, you were saying how as we, as we become more technical, uh, technical dependent, we need, we ha- are forced to, just like the caveman was forced to uh, just come up with, uh, what about that fire there that just uh, came down from uh, a lightning bolt? Uh, how can I use that? And sure enough, it could cook stuff and uh, get warmed up in the cave. So it was a necessity that they needed to, I mean, it, they were forced somehow by evolution or by, by life. And that's the same here. I mean, here we, we can, we are a little bit smarter than the cavemen. So we are able to manage things. We are able to assess the situation. What's going on here? Is it, is it normal to have a society with a 15 or a 20% unemployment? How, what does that do? You know, it's like looking at a body with a cancer growing uh, in in the in the liver. It's, it's not good. It's not gonna. It's not gonna work. It's gonna be uh, uh, painful, uh, and it's gonna end up in death. So my solution to that, uh, and I stand strong on my on my idea, is to provide guaranteed social work, uh, and that's part of the deal. That's part of the social contract, and. Uh, Maybe we are becoming more technical. We have become less humanistic as societies. I, I think everybody will agree with me that the way things are going in the 21st century, uh, yes, technology, beautiful, we're doing great, AI and all that stuff. Ooh, ooh, we're smart. But as a collective, we are, you know, we are sick. We are sick. The uh, uh, people, the individual within the collective is suffering from a psycho somatic existential uh, syndrome 
we don't find meaning, we don't find hope, we just don't believe in anything, all we find are problems, we can't get a flipping job, uh, the, thing, the, uh, the, the, the budget is always like, can we, get, can we spend more in education? No. Can we spend more in, the, in healthcare? No. But if there comes a pandemic, all of a sudden we uh, pull a credit card and we whip $3 trillion out. Wait a minute. <laughs> I thought we didn't have any money. Where did this come from? So we are being somehow bamboozled. There's no doubt about it. The political system is not up to the obligation of the collective towards the individual. The individual is being strained, led astray. We don't know what the heck is going on. And uh, truly, we need to start thinking in very simple terms. It's like, how do we fix this problem? And my managerial brain tells me, okay, I think the solution is to uh, provide work. It's that simple. You want to work, you show up tomorrow, eight o'clock in the morning, you punch in, and you are paid for what you're doing. We will tell you what to do. You can clean the rivers, you can clean the beach, uh, beaches, you can uh, clean, uh, uh, you can uh, help people. Uh, you are a psychologist. You don't have any job. Nope. Well, you're a psychologist. What right? about okay. we will bring in people so you can help them, etc. Et income. Et what about a base universal income, such as perhaps two thousand dollars? Absolutely. A week. Absolutely. Yes. Well, no, we can we, we can talk about that. But basically, it's it's universal work. Gets it. If you get universal work, then so you, you don't have to worry income. about telling people what to do. Okay, you go clean the street. They're not going to do it. I've got three things to add here. Yes. All right. All right. We're <laughs> really going to increase the understanding of the collective here. So hopefully, I've got your buy-in with that. With that. With that tease. The mosquito consciousness may or may not be aware of the fact that its number one existential threat is being crushed. <laughs> I don't believe they are. If not, they would not get close to us. <laughs> the, flies, the flies, at least, are, seem to be large enough to understand because they'll move quick. If you try to swat it. Yeah. We still get them, though. In Osceola County, the county just south of where I live, I can get there in probably 11 or 12 minutes. The unemployment rate is, I think, last I read, 31.6%. There's already a, um, so, so the, the, the housing of last resort is uh, usually extended stay motels. Yeah. Um, in our newspaper, the Orlando Sentinel, in this past week, it's been described that uh, that we're looking at at a wave of evictions and homelessness. There's already a motel in Osceola where 40 to 60 families are living, and back on June 20th, the electricity to that entire motel for all those families was already shut off because before the rules were set up that you can't do that, it was already done. Because that motel 
stopped being able to pay its electric bill back in February, which right. is what that committee of eight declared was when um, the, the recession started. So you're, we're talking about 40 to 60 families since June 20th who, who've all been stuffed into this hotel because that's their best option, who have no electricity. And that is the economic reality today. How is it in Orange County? Not as bad? Well, I think Orange County, is, it's the heart of the, the Seminole, Orange, and Osceola are, uh, the, those were all creations starting with Orange County. In the 19th century, it was all one county. It was Mosquito County. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so we, we need to, we need to understand the, the, the economics. And in order to understand the economics, we have to look at, I think we have to go back to the classical um, liberals. The, the time from between feudalism and capitalism and, and before socialism, okay? And the the key there that the that the moral philosophers moral philosopher was what was the term that uh, that was assigned to economics the study of economics the science of economics at the time people like um um adam smith or 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 blackstone um or, or john locke um these people all understood, and, and the French physiocrats as well, these people all understood that when it comes to production, and we are not taught this, by the way, we, we did not get this in 20th century public education. When it comes to production, there are three factors, natural resources, labor, and capital. You can think of capital simply as tools. Just that, just tools. Okay, it's, it's uh, it might have been Abraham Lincoln who said that the first capital is labor, because when you take your labor and apply it to the land, you're able to produce a tool. All right, and these tools are what create efficiencies and these efficiencies enable a collective to so that not everyone necessarily has to be working all the time. Uh, in other words, here's another side of the of, of, of the whole of the whole situation. You've got to have um, a recognition of the fact that that not not all work is paid. Someone who raises a child. Um, someone who does the dishes at home. My common sense party will pay for that. I appreciate that, Louis. Yeah, because <laughs> when you, I mean, it's very simple. Uh, if a man, let's say that, you know, in the old, old ways, uh, a man goes to work, he's married, his wife stays home with the kids. So his minimum wage, working a social, a social uh, work, you know, 
we're talking about there is no work, there's 20% unemployment, and this gentleman goes to the social work program and says, hey, there's no work out there, I can't find anything, uh, give me a punch card, I'm going to punch in. And this gentleman is going to make uh, a minimum wage that's going to be based on two things, where he lives, his zip code. Because zip code X, the cost of living is this, zip code Y is that much. So it has to be, you know, and that is easy. You know, you can go to the, uh, to the reports and say, hey, what is the regular cost of living in New York this much? What is the regular cost of living in here this much? So that minimum wage should be adapted to that, but also to the fact that he has a wife that prefers to stay home to take care of the kids because she feels that's the best way. So uh, that in my common sense party, that is uh, uh, allotted for. There, there's a risk involved in that. That okay. risk, uh, someone's gonna say, well, wait, wait a moment, well, you know, is that mother doing her job? So what do you do? Do you install cameras in the home? In every room of the home? To make sure that the, the butts are being wiped while the children are, 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 are being potty trained so that, so, that, so that the collective can look in and make sure your dishes are done on time? Those are very good questions. Right? You could put sensors you know. in the washing machine. Dishwashing machine. Yeah. And well, I, I will say this uh, for the defense of the common sense party is that we cannot fix everything at once. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that problem. We'll get to that problem later. How about that? Uh, um, Jesus, uh, Chris. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to come. You, you don't want a, a political party. You want a magician with a wand. Well, no, it, it's only because I've thought about these things in advance. I know, I know, I know. I've already come up with these questions. But, and it's, those are very good questions. Just like in a business, you have to prioritize the problems and work in, in, in the priority uh, order. You have to agree. You have to vote everybody and go, okay, we're going to work on this first. And this is second. And this is third. So yours will be somewhere down the line. But the first thing to do is to get that guy to work. Well, okay. Right? All right. What if he can't work because he's overweight? I, I we already went through that. We, we discuss, yeah, it's called disability. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so, well, um, could he, honestly, yes, could he yes. be uh, paid to get on the treadmill and the treadmill <laughs> is, Listen, we can talk, is keeping we can track talk. of how much calories and that's converted to uh, pennies and he gets... Is, Paid that's a very good direct that's a very deposit good to his bank. A, listen, we could pe put put people on bicycles and produce energy. You, know, <laughs> you put a little, and I'm telling you, you you can pay for that because it's a renewable energy. It's clean, and people lose weight, so they get they become healthier. We can talk about the obesity problem. This is this is a real uh, society problem and individual problem. Uh, we need to reframe the problem. We need to understand the causes and the solutions. That's a very important problem. Let, uh, I say the next, bubble, the next bubble is going to be uh, healthcare because of the obesity yes, Chris. Uh, in the population. Um, so your, your question in regards to having to, I guess, um, look into the person who is the homemaker, I see it as, you know, this similar to, because 
if you think about it, if a woman or um, a husband decides to stay home, they're saving buku bucks on childcare. You know, because childcare is expensive for every yes. for every child. It's like, God, <laughs> I don't have to do that anymore. But <laughs> it's like me neither. Thank God. <laughs> It's an arm and a leg, you know, it's like $200 a week. So um, if a husband or a wife decides to stay home and take care of the kids and for the collective to find out, <clears throat> to question, hey, how are they necessarily doing their job? You can just simply look at the family, you know, does the, when they go out, you know, are they clean? Do they, can they speak? Because if you look at it, you, then you'd be able to tell if the mother or the husband is actually doing their job. Because if, if they're not doing their job, let's say the kid's not talking or they don't know how to behave in the presence of others, they don't know how to um, just do the general things in life, then we can, I guess, uh, a reasonable mind can conclude, hey, you know what? this parent is not really teaching or I guess, quote unquote, um, teaching, caring, yes, um, for the kids as they're supposed to. That would be one way to um, distinguish if they are or if they're not. We don't, I I don't, I'm not a big fan of surveillance and um, dictating or, you know, but it's just, if you, because I mean, no one stays in their home besides me <laughs> forever and ever. I'm kidding. <laughs> but but um, no one stays in their home to the extreme of never being seen, you know, unless, of course, they're bedridden, you know, where they literally <clears throat> are in a hospital or they're having um, oxygen, you know, things of that sort. But normally, um, as a family, you would go out you know, and enjoy life to the park, things of that sort. If the kid cannot run, if the kid cannot interact with their friends and their friends are talking about a certain subject and they cannot interact with them, then that would be like a telltale sign that, hey, you know what? The parent is not teaching them the ABCs, the language, the ways of, um, you know, what science is about, that the sky is technically not blue, it's just, you know, different types of elements that um, yes. are in play. Think that, Chris, that's how I would think we would be Chris, able to absolutely um, right. tell you're if the person right. is actually, we don't need to have cameras or have policing of the person, hey, let me go into your home and make sure that you're doing X, Y, and Z. Because even people who are in general jobs, you know, don't have someone overlooking their shoulder. You know, they know that, hey, if I send in a report that, you know, they did something. Sometimes they don't even do it. They don't even show their work for like three weeks, a month, you know, things of that sort. I don't know. That's You're absolutely just right, Chris. That was beautiful. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, there's another way to uh, alleviate the problem uh, of ignorance. Because when a parent doesn't take care of their kids, uh, it's uh, sheer ignorance, obviously, probably because they were not cared for either before because we haven't been teaching psychology and humanism in school, go figure. But uh, we could fix that by investing, instead of uh, investing more nuclear submarines or uh, <coughs> bombers, 
we could invest in uh, uh, educational channels, humanistic uh, social educational channels that broadcast to the population what it is to be a good parent, how to take care of kids, the do's and don'ts, how patience in the home is important, etc., etc., etc. We don't see this anywhere. The internet doesn't teach it unless you really look for it. We don't talk about that in school. Uh, this is an other thing that the, the common sense party would do, which would be to uh, uh, in, improve uh, education by adding humanism in schools, philosophy, psychology, uh, sociology, economics, etc. So the kids, instead of uh, learning what the tangent is like and the uh, uh, stuff that they never use in their life, I'm not saying we're not going to teach that. But along with that, we could teach uh, uh, sociology, psychology, philosophy, getting along, civism, how to take care of your family, how to wipe your butt, uh, things that we don't teach the kids. And we need to teach the kids that in school, and we need to teach the, the population on TV and the radio, on the internet, and make available this humanistic revolution where Okay, let's get back to our senses, guys. And, and that's how, somehow, you'll be able to make sure that the mom that stays home is taking care of the kids properly. Okay, so here's the risk. The risk is that we encourage everyone to become judges. Not judges according to thought per the individual situation, but judges in accordance with the training. Aren't we judges of our lives? No, you're saying... What, what, what this logically leads to is small townism, where people spend more time minding other people's business than their own. Of course we should. We live in a collective. Hold on now. <laughs> Not so fast. Um, <laughs> the, the, the trouble with small townism is that the only person who really has an understanding with what's going on are the people doing the work. However, if you make it a situation where everyone's a judge, determining in accordance with, with the broadcast training, the conditioning, in other words. You, but you're assuming the broadcast training is going to be uh, a bamboozling and gaslighting. I'm talking well, about common sense training, common training sense humanity. The, the absolute best state-of-the-art, top line, all the experts agree, is the best training available. I think we have a good understanding of what it is to get along, be nice, and caring. It doesn't take a NASA engineer to do that. Right, yes, but you're, what, what you're describing is a different <clears throat> situation. Um, the, the risk is that you're encouraging people to judge others in according to a standard derived from a set of people in a set of time. Well, our problems evolve over time. And, and the training, the, the thing about education, especially higher education, is if you want to learn how to do something 20 years ago, or 40 years ago, or according to a set of rules that are a century old, <laughs> then you rely upon the experts. But if you want to know how to solve a problem right now, the thinking, the level of thinking that took place previously 
isn't necessarily up to the task of solving the problems of today. And that's, that's how Eastern society, this happened in China, this happened in the Islamic world. They come to this height, they establish these orders, and then things de-evolve. Because the active process of applying human ingenuity to solving the problems lessens, while the, the idea of sticking to the norm increases, yeah. and then that creates a world of externality. With that, that, what, I have, what I was talking about, does that sound like an extremist or dogmatic uh, or anything? I mean, I, I think you've got the seeds of it all in there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, so I, I, think I, I, I hear your concerns, Rami, but my, my, my take on it was just, just general understanding of just, I mean, realistically, I think as humans, we like, okay, so I, 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 hear, your, I hear your concerns loud and clear because at the end of the day, it's kind of like, you know, if you plant a seed, there's a chance that it will grow. And when it grows, there's weeds and it gets out of control. But wh where I was coming from is that we as humans need to have faith as well, okay? And without that, you know, it's kind of like we might as well just be policing and surveillancing everyone, you know? My thing is we, if, if, a, mother, if a parent is, you know, is a homemaker taking care of their child. I would think that it would be the benefit of the parent to do what's best for their child. And me as part of the collective would anticipate that the mother would want that for their child, you know? So therefore I wouldn't have to police and therefore I would not have to judge. Granted that would happen. Of course, we're all going to judge to some degree or whatever, you know, that's just humanistic of us to do. Well, that, is there a way to eradicate that? Possibly, but I'm not concerned about that, to be honest, at the moment, because we are humans and we're flawed, you know? But yet, but, and, I know, and I understand there's ways to, you know, correct what we want that is flawed if we want to, because, again, for me, I don't believe in forcing people to do things they don't want to. You know, because if they, if you force people to do things they don't want to, their heart's not in it, it becomes sloppy, it becomes not valuable in any shape or form. But, but back to the, um, the parenting of, you know, of the household, the, again, at the end of the day, it's faith. As a collective, if you, if, as a collective, you would have faith in, the, in, in your group. You would have faith that the mother or the father would take care of their child by teaching them what is reasonable in order to, I guess, produce or be part of the collective, whatever that means for the collective, you know, um, similar to, and I know I keep bringing this up, but the Amish people, you know, it's like everyone has, has um, a role, you know, you, they, I'm pretty sure they have faith that, hey, you know what, this person's going to do what they need to do in order to complete this. This person has this job and, you know, you just have to have faith that they're going to do it at the best of their ability, you know, not the best of the ability of me or this person or that person. Of course, this is just, you know, wishful thinking on my part and seeing it in a greater scheme of things, you know, but if you put that into, um, I guess, 
reality form or whatnot, then it's just kind of like there's always going to be flaws. But that's of just course. my solution. Chris, you know, you're so for, right. Your, for your question that you have, that's just, I don't know. Chris, you're absolutely right. Uh, does that make right. any sense? I don't know. It makes a lot of sense. You are on, on point. And yes, in some uh, Amish families, there's going to be disruption. The father is going to be uh, uh, OCPD and he's going to mistreat everybody or the mother is going to be whatever. So there's always that exception to the overall rule where humans typically tend to play nice. So we don't have to police everybody. And hey, what are you doing with your kids there? So I, you are right on point. You are looking at it, and rather than faith, uh, I would, I would, I would uh, uh, talk about the ex, the positive uh, uh, outlook uh, with uh, uh, expectation of the humanity going forward instead uh, instead of going backwards. So um, I I like everything you have to say, Chris. I think we are looking at this from the very same perspective. The devil is in the details. How do we manage that? But the fundamentals, I think we agree on that. So bravo to you. All right. Um, let, me, let me continue the idea of, of uh, expanding the, uh, the collective understanding uh, mm -hmm. with respect to the economics. I, I view economics as the study of human decisions. That's, that's the, the, the definition I'm going to apply to that that placeholder word. There are a lot of definitions to economics. That one's, that's, that's the one I'm operating under. The, the study of human decisions. When you're talking about... Schopenhauer, we call that the human will. But it's all right. It's the same thing. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, when we're talking about... Uh, let, let's go back to, to how the... How the how the classical liberals understood uh, the, 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 what were the means of production. Because the, the economics that most of us were taught just eliminated or, 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 or underplayed or, or subsumed natural resources into capital, labor and capital. When you, when you take the, 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 the three factors of production natural resources, labor, and capital, and, and, you, and you reduce them down into two, capital and labor, which is what Marx did, then you can apply Hegel's dialectic and move a society any which way you want. Marxists are a billionaire's best friend. You have to understand natural resources as a separate entity in the factors of production. Why? Because when, when and once you understand that, then you can understand that all the classical liberals, when it came down to determining how to pay for government, who, who, what would they tax? Would they tax labor? No. Would they tax Capital, which is to say tools, which is to say human labor applied to natural resources in order to bring about tools, tools, those things which bring about efficiency, which is the, 
which is the thing that allows us to move up a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. or allows us to have more, more personal freedom to do things, not what the collective asks, us, asks of us, but, but what we have asked of ourselves, or how, however that's determined. Then, then it's, it's almost universal. I, I would say that the, the classical liberals understood that, that the thing that you tax is man's use of natural resources. So you, you, no more income tax, out. No more capital gains tax, out. No more business tax, out. No more, if you build a building, your building isn't taxed. That's out. Those are all products of your, they're fruits of your labor. And why should we be stealing other people's fruits? However, and this is where the collective comes into play. If the collective is responsible for the defense of the territory, if they can, if they can make claim to the territory and hold on to the territory and hold the territory, then within the context of that territory, they can declare that land is common. It's not anything, natural resources isn't something that individuals with the collective produce. It's what's there. And if you can hold and defend that territory, then what you can say is any, any member of the collective that wants to have title of monopoly right over a piece of natural resource then what that member owes to the community, and I'm switching from collective to community here, uh, whatever proprietor that is, whether it's, whether it's a homeowner or whether it's a, uh, someone who owns a, a shop in town, that proprietor owes back to the community um, a return for their monopoly use of that piece of the territory. And that, by the way, is an idea that was introduced by Thomas Paine in an, in an essay he wrote in 1796 while living in France. And that's, yes, the same Thomas Paine who wrote the essay, Common Sense, that was published back in February of 1776, <laughs> which, which, which predated the Declaration of Independence by four months. Well, uh, Romy and everybody else, I am going to have to detach from this uh, wonderful uh, Zoom session here. We went from uh, freedom to economics, <laughs> but it's okay. Everything, everything goes. I, I enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, uh, I always enjoy these, uh, these sessions. Chris, it was great meeting you. Um, uh, and, uh, unfortunately I have stuff that I need to, to do. So I would, I would rather stay here for another five hours, but, uh, I don't think it's going to, you're work not out. free. I'm not free. <laughs> in that so, um, uh, anyway, so, uh, again, uh, a wonderful session, uh, David, uh, Romy, uh, Chris and Jairo, I am bowing out. And I hope that we can continue this uh, next Saturday. Thank you, uh, Luis. Same time. Okay. Into your day. May your common sense party prevail. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of votes. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, guys. Have a great day. Bye-bye. We have a we have a visitor from Japan. Hi. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hello. This is Yoshi. Yosh? What's Yoshi? Yoshi. Yoshi. Thank you. What uh, what time is it right now where you live? It's um 9:45 in the evening. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So you're 13 hours ahead of us. What uh, what have you gathered so far from this conversation, Yoshi? Well, yeah, I've been listening to you, your heated discussion, but um, it's hard to express my impression. But um, what? Oh, it's um. <laughs> Yes, it's kind of difficult to uh, impress my expression. Sorry about that. Yes. Well, you come from a whole nother place um, with a whole nother history. Yeah. Right, right. Um, well, hey, Rami, sorry, um, were you finished with um what you were saying, or did you still have more? Uh, I, I could go on with that stuff for another five hours, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to dominate and I don't want to uh, monopolize. Okay. I don't know, but um, it just seems like, okay, I, I, I kind of understood where you were coming from until you brought up taxes and because it, it kind of kind of goes into, I guess, because what um, Lewis was saying in regards to, honestly, I thought this discussion was about reality because that's what the meetup said. And then we switched to freedom, which kind of confused me. And then, I don't know. But nonetheless, I'm kind of flexible in whatever topic we discuss. Um, so, but my thing is, and I don't understand, um, I guess, your conclusion on, in regards to how freedom and, and also, um, I guess the concept of how do we determine if a person should be, um, how to determine if someone is actually doing their job um, in regards to taxes. Because, I mean, that's in, in, in itself kind of a different um, subject altogether because, I mean. How do the two connect? Because they seem like very. Yes. Uh, yeah, they don't seem to connect because, I mean, I get property tax. Um, and individual tax, taxing the individual as well as um, without taxing the the property itself or in addition to, if, I'm not sure if that's what you're saying, is to, combi is to combine both because, I mean, we have sales tax here, 
on, you know, every item, you know, and the same thing with shipping taxes, and then we have um, employee taxes, everything's there's tax for everything. <laughs> Soon there's gonna be tax for your pinky, but um, I mean, I don't know. That's tax too. When I'm kidding. <laughs> um, let, let me build in some connectors here. Okay, please. So much to cover. Uh, first of all, property tax or. Let me give you an even more general term. Uh, I wish uh, Dave Norton was still here because he, he loves words. He loves um, etymology, the study of the history of words, how they develop, how phrases develop. You have, you have something like the estate tax, and you have to understand what the estate is. And the estate is uh, the collection of property, and it actually comes from the time of royals. Okay. Um, now, royals, throughout Europe at least, had this history of making claims upon the commons. We've all heard of the, the Magna Carta, that document from, from 1215, and, and a lot of people like to think that, that Western laws funded, I'm sorry, found it on the basis of the Magna Carta. Indeed, what it did was take rights from the king and create protections to the landed class, the barons, so that uh, th these were immutable rights. These were recognized that the barons, which uh, today we would call the barons uh, landlords, the barons could not be deprived of their property. And what was their property? Primarily their claim upon the commons. In addition to that, there was a sister document mm -hmm. known as the because the Magna Carta did not exist on its own. It's the right of the people in the forest. And the right of the people in the forest established the, the claim and the rights of the commons. The right of the people, anyone to be able to go into the woods and to harvest uh, uh, fuel for their ovens or, or, or to hunt game. Or, or get this, back then, fields were considered common property. There there were land tenders and then there were land holders or but the idea of having land as private property is the fundamental issue because if and here's the key if the natural resources themselves are privatized to a set of persons within the nation and I'm using the nation as an example because we, we still live in the age of nation states. If, if the only ones who have title to the majority of the, the natural resources within the given nation, then those people become essentially the lords of the land able to extract the wealth that the fruits of the labor of anyone living there upon the land who have no, no other choice because there's no land left. So that, oh. that there. I, I, I get where you're coming from now. Okay, and got it. Okay. Because I, I was trying to get the connection because, it, and then I guess in, in, in essence, like you were saying with the seed, that just kind of um, opens up more of a, 
of uh, monopoly on it being becoming to the extreme of those landlords becoming more of a um, not dictator, but like having more rights to it, and then soon enough they'll hold on to it, and eventually the poor won't have any access to it because they won't be able to afford it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I was trying to understand, you know, what, where where you were, um, what the whole concept was, but now I'm able to conceptualize it. Okay, I got it now. Because at first, I, and then I guess in essence, too, if they're able to, um, I guess, put a, a value on natural resources, who's to say what else they're able to, um, then there's a chance that they might actually get to the point of making air, you know, uh, uh, something that's, you know, a necessity for humans, they might end up monetizing that as well, which is also a possibility because, I mean, if you think about it, water, which is a, a natural resource that people need to survive, but yet a lot of cities the water itself is contaminated with so many harsh chemicals. And in order to get any kind of um, clean water, you have to pay for it. I, I, I get where you're coming from, Rami. I get it. I just didn't understand how it connected to freedom. But in overall, when you said in the beginning, the goal is free is true freedom. And maybe I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something of that um, something of, of those words, correct? Correct. Okay. I got it now. If you want to, unfortunately, I mean, we, we can't, we don't have time machines. Last Saturday, uh, Luis introduced, I think, to Jairo, uh, Boltzmann's reality, which is based, Boltzmann was a 19th century scientist, uh, pretty, pretty amazing guy. And, um, and then, for this week, during last week, Cairo came up with the idea of, of thinking in terms of mental freedoms. Um, so so I, do, I, I do have a question though, Rami. So let's say, you know, every, um, property is just general for everyone. Well, How specific property. Let, let, Sorry? Specific property. Okay. So there, then there's a, a there's a guideline to what's considered for certain individuals. Then, well, no, not for it's not based on individual either. This is this is what's so beautiful about it. So there are two classes. One is one is common, the other is private. And I, I'm not saying classes of people. I'm saying classes of property. Mm -hmm. So. Um, Henry George in, in Progress and Pro Poverty said this very radical thing. It's, it's, he, he put that out in 1879, and we're still coming to terms with, with, first of all, accepting it, and then second of all, trying to figure out how to implement it. He said this thing, he said, we must make land common. Now today we would refer to land as, as, as natural resources, and, and we can expand the, the economic idea of land to include things like electromagnetic spectrum, for instance, uh, the license to, to transmit across 
certain wavelengths to uh, provide, um, let's say, 5G throughout neighborhoods. Neighborhoods ought to be able to charge a rent for those companies installing 5G transponders in their neighborhoods and let that be an income for the people of the neighborhood. That places the decision of whether or not to have 5G transponders within the neighborhood squarely into the hands of the people of that neighborhood. Because then they're faced with the choice. Do we want to collect the rent and share that? Do we even want it at all? And today we don't even have the freedom to determine whether or not we get to be loaded with this, with this right. the electromagnetic <laughs> frequency. Um, coursing throughout our bodies 24-7, doing God knows what. And also wind, wind uh, energy, installing wind turbines. <laughs> Would that... <clears throat> area where the wind the wind blows the, the people that live in that area area should benefit from their wind going through their, their zone somehow sure because it's a natural resource and uh, and uh, at whatever level the the rents are charged because the community can draw uh I'm trying to remember the person who said this, but uh, essentially the idea is just, uh, it may have been Thomas Paine, the author of the essay, Common Sense. I guess, I think also land, 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 um, landfills, I think certain cities, if you, um, they get a, 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 a credit for allowing dumps to be in their area, unless I'm, um, Mistaken unless, of course, that's changed over the years. Well, um, it seems like there, there's no lack of people who figure out ways of, of gaining advantage or taking opportunity at the unconsidered external cost of others. Okay. Um, just to complete the thought, just, just as, as labor is the means by which individuals gain their wage, then by land, land being the economic um, term for representing natural resources, then by natural resources, that is the means by which the, the community or collective or county, state, uh, federal government, whatever level you want to take it out to, that would be the means by which that structure would, um, would have its natural source of wages. What if one is a nomad? Okay. Doesn't live in one place for a very long, long time. Sure. How would he benefit from the benefit of being on a land. Right. 
Well, the nomad does this wonderful thing. Um, I, I'm going to take the example from history of, of two cases of nomad, European and the Middle Eastern. The European nomad, let's say the traveling band of minstrels, go from land to land, sing their songs and share their stories, those that they've collected from other lands. They provide a community, a, a service, a rolling service to communities. So they set out their hat or their, their, um, their guitar cases and they sing their songs and people as they walk by toss money into them. And they can, I've, I've met people who do this by the way, like one person and then their manager who manages all the equipment and, and the logistics. And this one little pair spent like two or three years and they were able to pay their auto insurance, live out of a trailer attached to their truck. It was amazing. We hosted them in our home one evening. Uh, just really neat people living super free lives and, and, and like sharing wonderful like sets of goodness to wherever they went. And then the, the uh, uh, let's say the, 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 uh, the classical image, at least in my mind of the nomad is uh, the, the, the camel caravan. The, these are people who, who uh, take the good and leave the rest but they also operate under the ethos of giving the best of themselves away. The, these are folks who, who facilitate trade, who create networks, knowledge networks, actually. We could have today digital nomads, people who do something like a hybrid of both, where, where what they're doing is creating these, because what are markets? Markets are conversations, okay? It's people connecting with one another getting to know one another, building, building levels of trust. And faith too, but all, that, but all that takes faith, seeing what Lewis was saying with the collective, with the community, but, but the nomads in, 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 in essence are just kind of like smaller portions. And, I, and trust me, I understand the bigger the collective, the harder it is to, um, for, for the resource to even, there, there's, there is a greater chance of things going wrong, you know? And it's, it's I don't know, there's really, the world is huge. <laughs> but if, if the animals in, in the world can find a means to work within each other and, you know, and know what roles and come as a group, why is it so hard for humans? And I mean, I granted we are, I don't want to say we're more intelligent because I mean, some of the simplest things we can't even combat, you know? Well, I, I think it comes down to approach. Approach. Hmm. There, there's, a, there's a triumphant nature of man. There's the, I, when I say man, I'm not speaking out of sexist term, just out of the <laughs> represent human beings. Um, there's, there's the animal, that's, that's the physical, and also the, I, I would argue, like, like E.O. Wilson would, 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 would claim, the, 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 to a certain degree, the, the, the social, maybe just a function, not just a function, but it is sort of an emergent property of the biological. And, and that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a topic for a whole nother Saturday. Um, 
It, then there's, did you then say there's the first one was? Not which applies. The first one is um, the animal, the animal portion. Oh, animal. Then there's the- going social. Okay. Well, yeah, and the social may be to a great degree extension of the animal, okay? Because we see animals, we see ants, we see in, in um, just about every species, some social structures. These are observable phenomena. Then we have the, the rational. And we're, we're talking about things like reason. The thing about reason is everyone thinks that they're being reasonable. The trap associated with reason is that it can be bent any which way. And not only that, but we're not necessarily the ones doing the bending. So by way of programming, by way of, of uh, the repetition of lies, as, as David Norton would say, um, you, you, could, you could bend individual consciousnesses to supporting the worst sort of dictatorships. And then there's the intellectual. Um, and I think that why certain human beings have dominance or control over natural resources, even to the point where they start considering other human beings as simply more natural resources. In other words, absent of intellect and reason, I'm not saying that's the claim. I'm saying that may be the view of certain individuals. They may only look at other beings merely as animals. I mean, that's, that's, that's the basis of slavery. It's greed. I think, all, and I think overall it's just pure greed because if, if you need to have control or possession of anything that's not, you know, yours, you know, like for me, I, I, even though children are a form of your of two parents' DNA, you know, once that child is out the womb, my personal view on it is it's no longer yours. I'm sorry. I don't care how much you want to argue or say, you know, you gave birth or that's your DNA and you're the mother's DNA or the father, you know, it's no. That's its own, the child is, as soon as it comes out the womb, that's he, she, it is its own property. I mean, not property, entity. Why am I saying property? Entity. You know, and as such, you know, should, I don't know. But people don't see it that way. People, you know, they want to control things that has nothing to, want to have a voice or opinion or control over things that doesn't even relate to them. You know, um, prime example would be men who want to take control of a woman's reproductive mm-hmm. um, means of abortion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you're not a woman. I'm sorry, no matter how much you want to be. Uh, just like when I was younger, I wanted to be a man. I oh. I, Till now, I still want to be a man because it just seemed like men have it easier, you know. Um, but that was my viewpoint, you know, because it's like being a woman, God, you go through so much pain. Every month you go through pain, you know, from 
from the age of 18, having to go through your mantra and all this other BS and then not having your voice, not have it just, just seems like you're controlled as a woman. So I always wanted to be a man. But anyhow, so as a woman, it's like you're carrying a child, but every man in the Supreme Court, every man in court, every man in everywhere wants to tell women, hey, you have to carry this child. You cannot not carry this child as as if they're the one carrying the child. Like, I don't understand that. But at the same time, it's kind of like, yes, this is your DNA, you know, intertwined with the woman's DNA. But ultimately, realistically, and this is where I kind of have an issue with myself because I understand the perspectives of the man. I understand the perspective of the woman. And I also understand the perspective of those who are not, um, who are not in the position to make uh, a comment, which would be, you know, the outsiders, like the pro-choice people, um, pro-life, not pro-choice, pro-life people, because they're in essence arguing the child is its own entity and should be able to decide. But what they fail to realize is the child in reality is not really born. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's complicated because it's just everyone wants a say and control and somebody, an individualist person's personal, emotional, financial um, self. You know, and I don't know, it just it just it just seems like there's no solution, you know, and of course, like Louis was saying, you know and and I get it, you have to do it for the betterment of a community, and if not, then you become shunned, you become a vagabond, you become an outcast. So, Rami, could uh, in uh, Georgism or your social contract that that uh, George proposes, or or that whatever it, you want to call it, could uh, land also include the woman's womb? No, no, no. <laughs> that's, that's stretching it, <laughs> No, my thing in regards to freedom is people want to control. And even if you are a collective or you're doing it for the community, in essence, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's hard to say because there's really no no true way to make it where everybody wins. Idealistically, in my view, it'd be nice, you know, people be free how they want to be free, say how they, what they want to say without no repercussions or 
live in a land where they can go and travel and be, you know, within each other, within certain groups without fear or judgment. But... Chris, Hiro, may, um, may I offer a response? Yes, please. Chris, you, you utilize a, a very high-level concept, and it's, it's a very well-predefined concept. It's, it's the, it was by way of the word greed. And it's high-level because it introduces, or it's an opportunity to dive in on, on, on what, what, that, what, that, what that represents. So, um, I suspect that certain human beings have learned to operate the higher brain functions straight out of as, as a tool to enable the more base desires of the lower brain functions. So, so every one of our, of our human brains has, has something of, of the ancient at its center. There's, there's like the reptilian brain. Please, please don't accuse me of being a David Ick. The, the reptilian brain is, is one that, 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 that knows how to survive. Reptilian brain knows its place. Reptilian brain gets what it wants. And the reptilian brain is also, it may be that, um, was it, somewhere down the evolutionary chain that, that there were warm-blooded, I think they discovered that a lot of dinosaurs were warm-blooded reptiles. But, uh, uh, and, and of course, birds are sort of like today's walking, the descendants of today's, of, of the prior dinosaur um, line of, of evolution. So um, this is what I witness in my own neighborhood. Right down the sidewalk is um, we have uh, ducks, just generations and generations of ducks. I've lived here for a little over seven years now and I've, I've witnessed generations of ducks be born multiple generations each year. And they'll have these um, maybe up to a dozen or a baker's dozen worth of offspring. And the mother duck and there might be a helper mother duck or they may be well usually that's how they'll operate in classes and all the ducklings will follow the, the mother and some of them are straggle sometimes you'll have this other species of bird who'll come down and land these are the big tall walking crane items that are like four feet tall they'll they'll walk up they'll grab a duckling slam it against the sidewalk, break the duckling's neck, pick up the, the now ex-duckling, gobble it, swallow it down their neck, and then with its eye, stare at the mother duck. Wow. This is why ducks have a dozen or so <laughs> ducklings at a time. These are all strategies for, for propagation 
of the species, just like gender is a strategy for the propagation of the species for those who have gender. We're not, you may, you may like to live asexual lifestyles or um, polyamorous lifestyles or you name it. I'm, I'm not here to get in the way of anyone's freedom. Um, but, but biologically speaking, we, we have this strategy for reproduction and that's, that's based upon binary gender, at least on the genetic level. And I'm, I'm not, by saying that, I'm not disregarding anyone's identity, nor am I, um, nor am I disallowing anyone's uh, choice or how to be, so, or how, how to see themselves in the world. Agreed. To a, to a good. Like, well, okay, uh, that's Greco's line from the movie. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. How is it good? And you're on mute right now. Good. Because if that crane didn't have the greed to want to gobble up the duckling, then there would be an, an overpopulation of ducks in the lake. <laughs> that would be unsupported. Of, then the, would be, uh, the city no. would, would fill that lake. <laughs> With, with, with duck poo. No longer have a lake. <laughs> and, and, and then uh, you might not even have the human beings to be able to live around that, that, that pond that, that they congregate around because that, that could lead to too much bacteria in the water, which could lead to a whole other disease. I mean, you know that viruses can jump species. Um. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, homeostasis is 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 a natural process, and and when we go in with our reason and our intellect, thinking that we know better, or applying our greed um, on behalf of our species, or, or counter greed. Well, I think that you know that that's that is a term that that's only so. That only goes so far in terms of usefulness. I, I like to look at the lower level, um, or I, I like to seek after the lower level uh, understanding of what that term represents. In the end, I think uh, you can call it greed, but I think the use of the word that's greedy or the use of that phrase is perhaps something that comes out of class warfare, struggle, um, Marxism, Marxism only being an example of Hegelianism. If you want to trace the roots of Western racism, you you could you could get the majority of understanding simply by studying Hegel. Hegel was the one who influenced Marx to think in terms of um, problem, proposed solution in order to get an entire society into the actual desired solution, which, which, which I think is more or less the means, and this is why I stated that Marxists are a billionaire's best friend, because a billionaire, think, think of a 
think of a billionaire as like someone who knows chess. They have an end game in mind. They know that the other person may have an end game in mind, may not. They're just playing a game. But an expert chess player against a non-expert chess player will already come with a set of strategies that they've developed by way of their experience or by way of their study, some combination thereof, and they'll be able to master the board. How? Well, by applying their techniques. And what Hegel provides is this technique for moving entire societies in the direction that you want them to move in. So for instance, let's say you got rich this is just a hypothetical. I'm not saying this is a piece of history. Let's say you got rich producing arms for the victors of the American Civil War. Well, that war is over. How are you going to continue your lifestyle? You got to keep, I mean, you've got all these tools. It's a, it's a, it's a big investment. You, you sacrificed. To, to, to be able to save enough money to, to, to build the factory, to, 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 to create these. If, if, you're not, if you're not maximizing on your prior investment, then, then, then you're, not, you're, not, you're not getting as much out of the world as you might be able to. So let's encourage some westward expansion because, hey, manifest destiny and let's seed that idea into the society. Um, there were groups during World War II, they were kind of silently prosecuted, but there were, there were a set of Wall Street investors who, um, who basically helped pre, well, interwar Germany, they, they, they made investments that enabled interwar Germany to build up secret uh, armies um, because the, the Germans, uh, after World War I, they had created a, um, a set that went and trained in, in, in Russia and in the, in the, in the young Soviet Union, where they, they developed these skills that enabled to, them to later make the mistake of, of go and fight and try to take over the lands to Germany's east. Um, President Hoover, uh, prior to becoming president, wasn't even member to a political party. He had to choose a political party in order to become president. But, but uh, he, was a, he was an engineer and he uh, also had a political mind because he was able to, to rally governments in multiple states throughout the Colorado River Basin to set up that dam that bears his name. It, all, it has two names, it's called Boulder Dam and it's called Hoover Dam, after the man. But in between that, he did this very interesting thing. Uh, when, are you, I, I know we're going far up with this. When, when, um, when the Soviet Union, um, in their uh, quote unquote wisdom, decided to kill all the effective farmers, the natural result of that was famine throughout the Ukraine. 
so many people were dying of starvation because they were operating off of Marxist philosophy. Marxism, I think, gets the majority of the diagnosis of the problem. They can, they can define the problem and they can define the problem in terms necessary to apply a solution which history has proven is deadly. Um, Hoover actually arranged using his engineer and his, his political skills, arranged for the American farmers who had already licked the problem of, of, uh, of how to produce mass amounts of grain. Uh, we, we, we literally fed out of our own grain basket this, this, the Soviets who were starving. This, this guy, and one of a lot of respect here in the United States and, and internationally because uh, there were people dying <laughs> even on the farms because the, the people left over after the purges, they didn't necessarily know how to farm productively. So, um, and, and, and there's a Hoover institution, Stanford University in, in California today that also bears the name. What, what, makes, what makes a Marxist a billionaire's best friend is that there have literally been what were back then the equivalent of what are today billionaires who were, were funding movements and armies. To a certain degree, history is the story of, oh yeah, you and what army? And we see that today with, with groups like Blackwater. And you had that back in the time of the American Revolution in the form of the, the, the Hussins, I think. They were like Germanic mercenaries. Um, in the end, they're, they're kind of like, if, if you can train a people to, to not think, in other words, if you can substitute thought with programming, then you can move a society in such a way so that your reptilian brain, which is operating on the, on the basis of survival, and remember, when it comes to things like money, there's never enough. Like, the idea of enough is a higher brain function. But if the lower brain only thinks in terms of survival, then it is your biological imperative as a person who has basically appropriate the upper brain to serve the purposes of the lower brain, <laughs> then, then that's how you have naturally established dominance hierarchies. So does that mean that the objective of a society that's going to use uh, Marxism to to move it the way it wants to, or the leaders of that society are going to apply Marxism, then they have to uh, remove the intellect of the working class. And would that uh, mean that the working class is is running on a reptilian mind and would that mean that they are running they are greedier than a person that is that has its intellect that it's able to determine that 
enough is enough. I've I've eaten it enough, and I'm not don't need to eat anymore. Although you see uh, obesity in the in the billionaire class, well, maybe not so much. Yeah, well, I mean, past a certain income, you can afford personal trainers to uh, and and chefs to to make sure your glycemic index is is always just right and your physical activity level is always just right. You you can live a very ideal life given a certain amount of uh, income. Choice. Um, I, I'd like for us to explore Chris's idea. Um, I propose that you're drawing the line at birth. I'm thinking that the people who are operating on, on, the, on the low level brain level have already been for quite some time, if not 50 years, then 100, and if not 100,000, if not 1,000, multiple thousands of years, have been operating, utilizing, in terms of, once you have all these resources, and that's no longer interesting to consider, and, and if you're willing to consider other human beings as natural resources, and I think that that once once you've achieved or, or arrived at or inherited that level of thought, then then you can start thinking in terms of um, well, you can start thinking like a pharaoh. And and when there are too many uh, when there are too many Hebrews, and they threaten your order, your established order, then what do you do? You, you call the herd. You, you take the infants and you throw them to the crocodiles. Um, and, and I don't think that Pharaoh ever really went away. Sometimes Pharaoh is called emperor. Sometimes Pharaoh is called CEO. Sometimes Pharaoh is... Oh my God, what did I say? Keep it down. I don't know if you can hear my daughter in the background. Sometimes Pharaoh is... Um, I don't, how do we put this? Queen. Well, yeah, emperor, empress. I, I think it's 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 on a level beyond just a just a mere kingdom because here in the United States, anyone. Head of household. <laughs> well, more so than that, because I, I think head of household or king, queen, matriarchy, patriarchy, whatever you call it, it it's because I've witnessed households that are both. I've seen patriarchies. I've seen. I've seen matriarchies. I've seen them both, and uh, I I try to live with my wife as a strict egalitarian. We both compete sometimes, and we compete with purpose. And that purpose is to try to determine the best solution. And it, it, it's a it's a it's a collective partnership. So so. To the degree possible, I, I try to hold to an egalitarian principle. Um, because uh, two heads are better than one. And in operating according to the, uh, well, let's just say a healthy set of precepts. Um, but, but uh, you know, America is kind of like, kind of like a republic of kingdoms or queendoms. People who've claimed their fortune 
who have established their domains, their territories. And, 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 and if you have enough money built up by way of that means, then, then you get to have a say in how things work. The, the Princeton study from 2014 showed that. If you've got the money so that you can fund the politicians' political campaigns, then you've got something like a 30% chance of being able to get your agenda pushed through <laughs> the, the, and turned into law. Uh, whereas everyone else really doesn't, it, it's, it's, in, it's, it's statistically been found to be insignificant, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't play a role in the decision. And laws, by the way, are only as good as they are enforced. So if, you know, we've got maybe 12 to 24 times the amount of laws than we need. Because people say there ought to be a law to stop that, and then it, you know it, it gets passed, and then subsequent executors, the, the executive branches of government, those responsible for uh, enforcing the laws, or let, let's let's call them the rules, um, will just say well, you're not enforcing that. So if it's not enforced, then then for for all practical intents and purposes, this is this is why we have antitrust laws on the books and no anti. <laughs> trust enforcement. It's it's uh, it's it's why uh, you you can have companies like Amazon and Facebook. Uh, why AT and T, with all that deregulation that broke it into all these uh, baby bells, could then be reformed yet again when the owners of Southwest Bell can go and gobble back up the baby bells and reform a single AT and T again. Which, by the way, <laughs> in exchange for that for that for that wonderful luxury. Uh, if you recall, uh, there was that guy who worked in the building in San Francisco who discovered there was a copy of the data center, one floor above the data center for AT&T that was responsible for all the calls in the U.S. that are also connecting internationally. So they were able to tee all that traffic of all those calls which by the way is a violation of the, 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 the fourth amendment to the Constitution of the United States, they were able to effectively uh, monitor each and every one of those communications. And he whistleblowed that and it was on uh, 60 minutes and, and well out there. And, and, and even this, this conversation that we're having right now, Hyro is making a local copy and, and then also a cloud copy, but every single thing on the internet, one of the interesting things about this pandemic and all of us moving online is it gives government by way of private contractors, the opportunity to, to gauge, um, gauge the population, because if we're all holding conversations online now, that means everything that we do and say is hypothetically, or at least potentially, being stored in, in some sort of mega data center, perhaps in Utah, perhaps someplace else. There, it could be a, a federated. It's network. right here in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, data warehousing. Wow, you. Uh, well, I mean, and then, and then you have sets of AI tools that go through and try to monitor. They could be looking for keywords. They could be. You know, I, if I had a set of keywords, I could I could read them off of a page right now, and that might flag this conversation for a human to go in and look at it. I don't know, but what um, Louis, Louis, Louis was saying. Oh, God, now I'm afraid. I already forgot. Um, okay, yeah, I remember now. Um, he said something along the lines of, you know, as long as we understand as human, human beings that 
we're free in, in, in a form of not really being free. So like we're human, but we're only limited to a certain amount of freedom because at the end of the day, we are truly just for a collective, not for individual, you know, which is kind of interesting because there's really no individualism to begin with. It's an illusion to think that you have individuality. Once you're born, you're poor, you're basically here for the collective. That's, that's just how it is because once you, once you, once, once you come out your parents, your mother's womb, you know, you're, you're applied a social security number and you're giving all sorts of, I don't know, like, how can I phrase it? You're set, you're a set of a series of database entries and you're right. So, so it's like, what can you, it's like, you just have to find a, a, a level of freedom that's normal for you. Because ultimately, true freedom is an illusion. It's, it's not part of reality, you know? It's, but it's a great illusion for the American people to believe that they're free. Land of the free, home of the brave. Our freedoms. We're gonna die or fight for our freedoms. In honor, our soldiers have have fought and died I mean, for our freedom. Because I mean, back then, if anybody wanted to listen to our conversations or whatever, they'd have to go into our house, put in some kind of device to listen in. And you're correct, Rami. Now it's just it's an easier access form for anybody, anywhere, and it's not just the government, it's anybody who has the, the um, intellectual capacity or the willingness or the savviness to basically find the means to get, to, uh, to get into our, I guess, listen in. Nothing is private, literally nothing, not even, your medical records are private, you know, because anything that's stored in the cloud can be retrieved. It doesn't matter. I mean, right. all in all, it's kind of like for anyone to think that, to even think that they can have any form of privacy or any form and of you know freedom. Who's the biggest I, I don't want to say they're delusional, but... You're fighting a battle that's pointless. I'm sorry. It's just. Do you know who's the greatest or biggest eavesdropper? The one who knows everything about everyone in the world? His Facebook? God. Oh, yeah, God yeah, yeah. Knows what everyone is thinking all at so the same does, so time. Does, so does Santa Claus, but I don't know. <laughs> so I think we should rebel against God. And Santa? The, no, I like my gifts. <laughs> we demand that God give us back our privacy. 
so that was that. So Saul Alinsky, he, he wrote um, he wrote the book that uh, Hillary Clinton um, based her PhD thesis on. And I think it was called something like there. There's only the struggle, which again is another Hegelian idea. Freedom. And Saul Alinsky, when he wrote his book, he 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 kind of tongue in cheek. Um, dedicated, wrote an acknowledgement to, uh, to Satan. Um, the, the Satan as described in Milton's Paradise Lost. Uh, in Paradise Lost, uh, I think, perhaps is, is how he was viewing it, or he could have been using the biblical idea. By the way, Satan, there's a lot of connotation there. In, in the original Hebrew, it means adversary. And in the original Hebrew um, scriptures, it, the word is used six times twice as a noun uh so adversary adversary it could be adversary man to mankind or it could be adversary um apologies daughter could be adversary in terms of um, in terms of like the satan which is to say um adversary to god uh, in, in, Milton's Paradise Lost, I think if I understand it correctly, is because I have not read it. It's it's the idea of of um, of establishing a kingdom on earth because he could not take heaven. Um, there's a lot more that could be said there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it. There, there there's there's this there's this other idea. Um, and I, I want to get back to it so we can get back to a whole even lower level item. Uh, so I think that there's plenty of evidence to show that the, the idea of eugenics or the, the shaping of human destiny, which is, which is the promise of eugenics. I, I'm not a fan of the, of the pseudoscience and I call it a pseudoscience on purpose. Although, um, it doesn't really matter what label I attach to the idea. It's that idea that um, that could be um, considered from a few different perspectives. Uh, but 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 let me start by 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 pursuing it from what I at least imagine to be the female perspective. I, like you said, Chris, I, I can never be a woman. Um, but but um, I think that. Whenever a woman has the privilege to decide who their man or who, who the father of their children is going to be, they're practicing that choice which determines the shape of human society. Or not necessarily, I mean, that, that may be epiphenomenon. Uh, they, des they decide who their children are based upon the, the, the traits and the qualities of features of, of, of who, who, who's determining or who's providing the other half of the genetic code. Except for the case of rape. Right, that's, that's another situation. Um, I don't know if I want to address that because I don't know if that's going to trigger anyone in the room. <laughs> Wait, it's just you, me. Um, Yoshi, is Yoshi still on? Yoshi, Yoshi, say yes, something. Okay, you didn't <laughs> say anything, so I just want to make sure you're still here. And then it's you, Rami. I yes. mean, is there any four of 
Actually, I, I had set up. Um, There's two Ramis and two Hiros. Oh, there is? Where? Wait, wait, really? Wait. I remember using this, uh, a device. And by the way, I was holding up a device earlier on the idea of, um, of the monitoring. Um, I was holding up a This smartphone came by way of SafeLink. I have to leave at 10 just so you guys know. Okay? I'm sorry? Leave at 10? I have okay. to leave at 10. So. Okay, 15 minutes then. Thank you for that. Um, 15 so, minutes to save the world, Rami. <laughs> uh, this is a really cheap smartphone. It's about as cheap as they get. Um, the reason why I'm holding it up, it's a, it's a mirror. It's, it's almost like a monolith. I, I, when I look at it, I see the same basic form factor as the, the, uh, the monolith from 2001, The Space Odyssey. Um, now the neat thing about this, and uh, my my mother was issued one as well. If, if you're on public support, they'll they'll send you a letter and say, "Hey, uh, need a phone? Here's here's a here's a phone, which is also a GPS tracking device, which is also uh, a potential recording device, and uh, we're offering it to you for free. If if it's free, you're the product." Um, so, so that's how you get a society to willingly take on upon themselves monitoring equipment. All right, that's just an aside. Um, Hiro attended, I remember the second, I don't remember, I don't think you were at the first or maybe you were. Uh, we set up two earlier events. The first one is was called entitled, you can go into past events for Central Florida philosophy, Chris. Uh, the first one was titled, Is It Just Us? Is it just us? Just us being a play on the word justice. Is it justice? And in that, I, I, I set up the event to explore the question of justice in terms of the debate on abortion. Um, and I was always sort of disappointed that we weren't able to attract women to come be a part of that. It was just men talking about the topic. And <laughs> you know, that seems pointless to me because, I mean, what does it matter? <laughs> we, we, we know where the ultimate decision lies, um, at least according to today's le legal framework. Uh, uh, Margaret Atwood did a, did a very fine job in writing in 1985 about The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, a world where, where the decision was completely removed from the only woman able to still reproduce. You know, that was speculative fiction on, on, on a grand, horrific scale. Actually, I think it, it stems from some form of nonfiction as well, because back in the days, women didn't have the choice, period. That was, I mean, nowadays, I mean, even to, cert to a certain degree, certain cultures, their women's only goal is to reproduce. That's it. You it know? Be their economic security. That's, that's what's going to take care of you in your older age. Mm, that's not true. No. Because, you know, because, you know, and, and it's kind of, you know, and that's where for me, that's why I always feel like a child is 
their own entity. You know, I feel like parents burden their kids with this ideology of, I have you so that later on, when I become old, decrepit, or senile, or unable to care for myself, that you, as the young person, able-bodied, will, you know, be able to take care of me. No. I don't, I don't believe in doing that because, again, you're controlling your child, mm-hmm. you know? And for me, it's like, I don't know, my family, we're totally different in that regard. We respect our elders. You know, we respect their opinions. Mm-hmm. We respect their opinions. You know what I'm saying? But, like, my father, and I kid you not, he is the most individualist, independent person ever. He tells all of us the same things. He does the same things for all of us, um, which is complicated in itself, and I don't know how, but I don't. But anyhow, his thing is, and he's taught all of us to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And being self-sufficient isn't just for us. It also goes in line with him too. Mm-hmm. So, as an older, um, as an elderly, which he would not call him, consider himself that because he thinks everyone's an old fart but himself, <laughs> he tells us that our job is to take care of ourselves and for and for us not to take care of him. Mm-hmm. Yes, you well, know that that works until it doesn't. Yes, but, you know, eventually you have to think of the people who don't have kids, who takes care of them, right. you know? So, um, so it's kind of like, you're, you're, I don't know, if you have kids, if your only, if your main goal, main reason to have kids is because you want them to be able to take care of you, that's, that's a selfish way of looking at it because, I always, I always wonder, like, how, like, what's the word? Like, people, like, what if your kids don't like you? You know, what if you your kids felt like you were a horrible parent? Because right. at the end of the day, there's no guarantee. Right. You know, it's like I don't know. Well, uh, you know, uh, I think there's a there's a there's a response to this actually found in the letter of James. James was uh, Jesus's half brother a servant of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, James summed up, he summed it up beautifully. He said that, let me see if I can recall, pure, undefiled religion that, that, that the Father, meaning um, Lord Jesus is Christ's dad, whom we are all given the opportunity to become children of is to look after the needs of orphans and widows in their distress and to not become defiled or polluted by the world. Um, 
Yeah, anything else is probably just masturbation in terms of religion. If it's not actionable, if it's not providing a real good, then it's most likely simply self-serving. Um, so, so, so I don't know about men, like in the case of your father, I've, I've, I've known a former pastor who went on after 30 years of, of serving various churches on two continents, uh, he, and then becoming, retiring, moving away from that work and becoming a, a, a middle school science teacher. So he, he understood both the, the theological and the scientific because he taught both, right? That's the best way to, to, to know, to know a, a subject is by teaching it. He had four daughters. He had a divorce. In his youth, he, he worked uh, in his hometown of Memphis, Tennessee, uh, on, he was like 19, he worked um, on Robert F. Kennedy's uh, 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 campaign to run for the presidency before, before RFK was shot. When he died at the age of 65 of cancer, after about a five and a half or six and a half year um, life with cancer, his four daughters just uh, didn't really want to have a service. They didn't want to do anything. You know, his fatal flaw was he didn't know. He, he grew up in a time and in a place that, that, that did not. It, it was pre-feminism. Feminism is, is the radical idea that, that, that women are people too. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, what I'm saying is basically don't have, that people who have kids for the sole purpose of being taken care of in their elderly days is, it's, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a selfish reason to have kids. Well, yeah, know, because, I because ultimately, you as an individual, yes, you'll get old, but if you take care of your health, you know, mentally, physically, you know, you can be, you won't need help, you know, per se. Obviously, people who's going to need help to some degree, but you won't be to the point where you need constant help, you know, because I think a lot of people think that they can, like, you know, just disregard their health and be like, you know, I have kids. I'll let my kids take care of me. No, that's right. not their job. Their job is to be their own person. Thank you for that. You know, and it's just, I don't know, people have, you know, it's like they live through their kids and, and are what like. What about retirement? Retirement, the again, retirement is the. Society be able to, to pay for maintaining people to live up to 130 years or more or or something could be monasteries after age 60 everybody has to be no maybe that's too young age 80 you, you have to consider becoming a monk or a nun in a buddhist monastery and the uh, buddhist will take care of you well what if what if you find buddhism uh, tyrannical a belief system that you want to have nothing to do with. Or a Franciscan monk. But what if you want to live absolutely free of religion? 
All I'm saying is we should, we should not hold our kids down to make him like a servant of having to take care of us. They should they should want to do it willingly. For me, if if like I live with my dad, but you know it's kind of like how can I put this? He's still his own person. I make sure that he's okay without actually taking care of him. There's there's a means to it, you know. There's a way to go about it without, you know, being for. I don't know. It's just. It's fun. He inspires you. He's inspired you. He he. What he, if your father get goes ill or has Alzheimer's or dementia after a while? You are you willing to take care of him, or are you going to send him to a nursing home? My belief in sending parents to a nursing home is up to the individual. I personally would not, because again, my upbringing is. I don't want to say I feel obligated, you know, um, but it's kind of like my parents raised me, you know, so therefore, like, my duty as their, as their kid, you know, per se, is to, I guess, pay it forward back to them or reverse it, I guess, I don't know, but, but again, for me, I'm different. It's not just my parents that I would take good care of, you know. It's people who I personally would, you know, who are dear to me too, mm-hmm. you know. But again, ultimately, it's kind of like that's what nurse nursing homes are for. But again, a lot of them don't take good care of the elderly, and that's where the problem rises. Which is why I personally would not send them to you know, an old person's home, you know, but some people, some parents, some elderly people, they're, how can I put this? They don't want to be taken care of because they can take care of themselves, you know, not to say not to, you know, watch them and make sure that they're okay, but you can still, you can still do that by observing them and making sure their well-being is being taken care of. I don't know. So is having kids, a form of social security like rami do you expect or or hope that your kids will take care of you when you're 120 years old and can barely get out of the bed uh, i haven't thought about it hiro my wife thinks it's going to come down to someone from the society um and <laughs> what i don't know if we're going to go together or which one of us is going to go first but I, I'm, I deal with, I face every day the reality of being a caregiver to my mother. And I, since we're, we're just about at 10 a.m., I'd like to leave us with this thought. Um, Elon Musk has pointed this out. He says that, that we aren't facing a population explosion. We're facing a population crash. In fact, our population has been crashing for some time. As in not increasing? As in not having enough caregivers. Think about the reason why Social Security, that system is under strain, is because we've gone from 22 workers to to one one benefit drawer, to 13, to 4, to 3. Okay? 
There aren't going to be enough caregivers for all the boomers. And what kind of quality of life are they going to have in their final days? And that's We're where I have say, to move the military to take care of them. No, we have to take care of our health now. Now. That is, again, it's... it's oh God. My, right. gra my grandmother is like a hundred something. Uh -huh. And she she takes care of herself. Uh -huh. Like my father, basically, is like like she 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 was in she's in a nursing home. So my father just every once in a while go and checks up on her. Mm -hmm. The only thing she needs to do is like once in a while I would go grocery shopping with her, but she takes care of herself. Some of the small things or whatever. She's an independent home. She takes care of herself. I don't know. I mean, a lot of other cultures, I, I, I don't get it, but I, I don't know. It's just if you, if you are healthy, if you take care of yourself when you're supposed to, doing your old ripe age, you won't, that's just my opinion, of course, you won't need people to take care of you because you would have taken care of yeah, yourself. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think in, I mean, in, in Japan and the, in Japan is like, a, there's lots of elderly people and there's lots of, you know, over 60, 70 people, but they want to, if they are like able, they have an able body, they have, they want to be, they want nobody to take care of him, of them, because they can take care of themselves. So I think they, here we have the same like um, thought, I guess. Yeah, we, we have a lot that we can learn from Japan, for sure, um, here in the States, especially when it comes to living in community, and, and um, your country has a lot of, of wisdom to offer the rest of the world. And hot men, I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, I have to quote you guys, though. That was me going on a tangent, but <laughs> um, we should do this again. So, yeah, because it's 10 o'clock, so I have to start my day. Actually, my day started yeah, at 5. So we but, learned so yeah. much. May this uh, inspire us to increase our understanding of our freedoms or lack of them and so on and improve our ability to increase our mental freedom and an awareness. Thank you. Okay. Um, have a good day, Rami, um, Hiro, and Yoshi. Next Thank time. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Yoshi. <laughs> Come back Bye. next Saturday morning. Thank you, Rami. Thank you, Hiro. That was a, a trip. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Look forward to meeting and getting Thank to know you more, Yoshi. See you next yeah. Saturday morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a good conversation. <laughs> it was a little difficult, but. <laughs> Have Thank a you. happy day. If it's not challenging, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yes. Right, How can I share it? Should uh, I should put do. it on YouTube or on Facebook? Uh, both. Break, break it down into three or four parts.
Well, one one whole raw version like you did last week. So I, I love <laughs> it, the raw whole thing, so that you know you're getting you're getting the kit caboodle. I'm going to go edit it. The first part later. The raw version. The entire file. Edited. Just edit the word. Do a, my, minor parts after the fact, but just stick the whole raw version and then just do the up. You, you did. You set an excellent template or great example. Oh, um, and I can put it on a podcast. All the above. <laughs> Unabridged. <laughs> All right. Good night and good morning. Good night. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye. Take care. Wash your hands. Put your face mask.